Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. And today is an interesting one, because it's a slightly different format. So, you know, we'll keep it 80s, we'll do all that stuff you like to do. Um, However, this conversation was actually recorded a long time ago, maybe even like six months It's hard to say. And it was with SJ Bravo. Now, if you don't know who that is, he is, uh, he makes music. He's a singer. He did a collaboration with Sunglasses Kid, which was my favorite track on Sunglasses Kid's last album. And he reached out to me because he was doing some sort of research project or something. To be honest with you, I completely forget what it was. But he reached out to me and wanted to interview me for a project he was working on. So he was basically talking to other musicians and artists who were doing music in the sort of the synthwave genre and thought maybe he'd also talk to me because I've talked to so many people that maybe I would have some sort of insight or something. And and so this was just for his project. And I said, well, I'll just record it, you know, might as well. And now you guys are going to hear it today. So it wasn't actually formatted to be a Beyond Synth episode. So I don't actually throw to any songs because uh, it wasn't a show. So I'm going to interrupt the conversation periodically and just play music. So that's what the show is going to be like uh, in the second part. So there'll still be lots of music played, but I'm just going to cut in. And because of the way that I meander when I speak and I sort of go on tangents, it's kind of hard to find nice places to put music because sometimes I'll I'll listen back to the interview and go, this seems like a nice breaking point for a song. And then I'll come back and realize that I was still in the middle of a point. I just decided to take like a 10-minute tangent to talk about Goldeneye. So that's what the show is today. So anyways, let's get this thing fucking started. And uh, you know, The Midnight just came out with their album last week. Was it even last week? It was like, yeah, it was a week week ago, I guess. Uh, Less than a week. And it is called Nocturnal. And it's pretty fucking good, all right? So go check out The Midnight's new album. Uh, Maybe I'll have those guys back on the show sometime uh, in the future to talk about it, uh, because it's really good. Seven tracks, all good. I'm going to play a track called... Now, I would say Crystalline, but he says it Crystalline when he sings it. So I will say Crystalline, like Tyler Lyle does with his uh, lovely vocals. And this is a cool fucking song called Crystalline by The Midnight. Crystalline 
And that was The Midnight with the track Crystalline. And uh, what a great song. The Also, the first track, Shadows, is super fucking catchy. And it's one of those rare instances because, you know, I've talked about this before. I'm not a huge fan of the saxophone, but in certain instances, it can be pretty awesome. And those instances to me are Tim Capello playing saxophone in the Lost Boys movie and the guy who does saxophone for The Midnight. Synth sax, I'm not a big fan of. I know I've probably played a few songs that have like synth sax in there, but it's not my favorite thing in the world. That doesn't mean that there's not some songs I don't mind with it. I'm trying to be really diplomatic here because <laughs> I say something like that and I've like offended a whole bunch of synthwave producers who have synth saxophone things in their music. But generally, I don't like saxophones and I really don't like saxophone virtuoso music, you know, when the people are just like... You know, when they just like play a whole bunch of random notes. To me, it sounds so random and shitty that I don't like it. What I do like is when people, you know, have a real saxophone player who just does like power notes, which is kind of what Tim Capello does in, in Lost Boys. You know, it's not like he's playing some complex melody with the saxophone. He pretty much just just hammers down on like just three notes and just plays them like really loud and strongly. And that's when I find saxophone is all right. But when people do that, just that fucking jazzy nonsense gibberish where they just fucking play a bunch of random notes and they're clearly just making it up and it's like garbage. Uh, It's not my scene. Man. Anyways, how's everybody doing today? Is everybody having an all right day? I don't even think I have to go along. No, I'm, you know, whenever I record these intros and I do the, the wraparound stuff, I never know whether I should go long, you know, to, to make the show you know, it's regular length, but I think this is going to be a long episode, if I'm not mistaken. So, why am I still talking? So, how about this? Let's listen to another track, uh, then we'll keep it 80s with Marco Merrick, we'll do the Patreon, and then we will have SJ Bravo's conversation with me, uh, or my conversation with SJ Bravo, however you want to look at it. So, here's a track from Code Electro from the album Triads, and this track is called The Monk.
And that was The Monk by Code Electro. And that's a cool song. There's some... What's going on in there? He's playing some motifs from an old ninja video game. And I can't remember which one it is. Is that International Karate? It's something. It's from an old game, man. I know that fucking tune. So someone let me know, because I can't remember. I want to say International Karate, but... uh, on the, it's the Commodore 64, but I feel like it might be something else. Anyways, who gives a shit? Let's go and keep it 80s with Marco Mare. With Marco Merrick. <laughs> hey, Andy. Hey, synth lovers. <laughs> Good to hear your voice again, Andy. It's been a whole week, but Yeah, it's been a very long <laughs> week since we last talked, man. So, listen. A few weeks ago... Okay, so I took a break for a few weeks. Right. And then I played an old... I played a segment that we recorded before I went on the break. Mm-hmm. And so we are caught up now, but on that week you said you were going to go and play that Star Trek VR game but do it with four people? Yes, and I did do that, yes. So that's four people in the same room? So four people in the same room, four friends, like people I know very well, and it was really a lot of fun. Good, 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 okay. Is your uh, love of the game diminished now that you've played it a few times? Or uh, Yeah, it has a little bit. No, no, it's good. I just I wish I had it at home because it's not, it's not cheap, so I'm, I'm, I don't want to keep spending money on it, you know, mm. because... The problem with that game is you're sitting down when you're playing it. You can play it for hours and, like, you don't get tired. I mean, and it goes really fast. The standing up ones, you get sweaty, you get tired. I mean, usually I can only play for a couple of hours. The more vigorous games where you're ducking, picking stuff up off the floor, you're moving around, you know, like, yeah, after a couple of hours, you're like, fuck, I just want to sit down now. I'm done. Um, But with this one, I mean, I think we played for three hours and uh, I was like, man, it just went so quick. I could have played for more. But uh, it was a little bit tricky because I had a couple of people that, uh, a couple of my brother and my friend's brother that weren't uh it took him a while to get used to the controls it was kind of a little bit frustrating to start with once i got the hang of it it was really good Mm. uh it's just hilarious man it's so funny eh? i mean it's just such a crack up yeah 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 i say this every time i talk to you where i'm like oh i want to go try it and i just i cannot figure out a schedule whereby i can do it like i think that's like the main issue now between editing the show and uh you know just uh, family duties and all that stuff like i mm-hmm. i never really have like an hour where maybe this is why my heart's all fucked up i'm <laughs> 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 starting to realize now that like the more i describe like what i do i'm like oh right because i'm under constant stress all the time you know like maybe that's part of it it's a problem andy doing these shows man puts you under stress that's why i had to give it up i don't like the stress andy you know, during the day, I'm watching uh, my daughter, uh, and then I pick up my son from school, and so I basically every day have about two hours where I need to do, like, eight hours of work, 
And that includes the work that actually pays me money. And so it's really hard to fit eight hours of work into two hours. And and the, the thing is, that eight hours of work just keeps accumulating over the week. Mm-hmm. So it's like, because I didn't get to all eight hours that first day, so then that just gets kind of like lumped on to the next day. And then at the end of the week, I'm like, how the fuck am I going to get anything done? Like, I don't know how I'm going to get my work <laughs> done. I can barely fucking like answer messages people send me. And then on top of then I'm making dinner and then like on the weekend and then I can sometimes sense like my wife going like, hey, like, why aren't you fucking you know spending time and like well because when the fuck am i supposed to work like i don't know exactly when i'm supposed to be working are you anywhere near calgary they're opening up a new store calgary is uh is western canada ah fuck it is probably just looking it up now that's very far from you you're in yeah it's very Mm -hmm. far from toronto i see what you mean uh because i got a new the reason i ask is because i got a new i'll send you the link right now they got a new store opening up stills actually sent me the link because he was excited there's a new vr place opening up near him and it looks like uh just having a look at it now they're um looks like they're just setting the place up i don't know if it's going to be any good or not but uh it's not really like there are some places in toronto like i've already you know gone online and seen them and really like how high tech do they need to be? Like, there's just places that just have, like, cubicles with fucking, you know, Vive headsets, and, you know, you've got your little space around you. And, I mean, like, I don't know what makes a good VR place, because, really, like, once you put the headset on, you could be in a bunker somewhere. I mean, it wouldn't really matter. Good staff that know what they're doing, reasonable price, and you want to be comfortable there. It's good to have the right temperature. You know, um, if you need some assistance, you need to have... <laughs> trust me, there's a lot goes into it, Andy. You'd be surprised. <laughs> there's got to be some, like, waiters that come along and wank you off, like, while you're playing. Yeah, like, they, they, the place I go to, they bring you pizza, coffee. They make a be- great coffees. They'll bring you water when you... If you say, you got, oh, man, I'm parched. Give me some... You know, and they're like, yeah, man. And they bring you water and shit. They, they're great, you know. That's what you need, Andy. You need, you need support. Well, uh, speaking of hydration, let's hydrate our ears right now with some wonderful music. <laughs> and that, my friend, is a segue. So what do you got for me? All right. So I've got the new one here from Poe One. He's very well known for his ultra smooth sounds. And he's got a new track called Sound of Vision. Well, let's fucking check it out, man. This is Poe One with the track Sound of Vision.
And that was Sound of Vision by Poe One. Uh, and that was Marco's first pick of the week. And I'm, of course, here with Marco right now. So... That's right. What else is going on in the life of Marco, man? Not much, not much. I've been Marco meaning man. to, uh, I've been watching, it's weird, like I like watching stuff. Hentai. <laughs> no, I don't actually. I don't understand that. So sorry, Jake, I really don't get your fetish with hentai stuff. But uh, You know what? what? Uh, actually, I'll say this. I'll say this about hentai. Yeah? Because I don't get it either. I really but don't. But then I heard it explained once as, uh, and this was sort of interesting because I never thought of it this way. Because for people who, like, look at hentai, which for people who don't know is, like, sort of Japanese anime pornography, essentially, is that you're not really, like, no one's being, like, harmed. Because, you know, like, the the porn industry can be a really seedy place. And, like, sometimes maybe it's, like, it's a little more upstanding than you think it is. And I also think that it's also really scummy and and uh, and people get taken advantage of and stuff and so I guess if you just watch cartoons to beat off like no one's really being exploited you know like no real woman is being exploited in any way and so you might see that as like a, like a judgment thing in your head that like maybe this is like that is just better you know what no, I mean I that like hey, no one's getting hurt here I hear that but at the same time you're jerking off to a cartoon I mean like that's <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's not really for me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'd never, I'd never heard it explained in that way, and so that way was interesting. It was like, okay, that's that's an interesting take on that because I'd never thought about that because I don't get it, and. Having heard that explanation, I still don't get it. But anyways, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> okay. at least it's uh, at least they do something. Well, that, that kind of sheds a little bit of light. I mean, at least nobody's getting harmed. Nobody's being harmed in it. And, and but then again, I bet you someone will come out and say, yeah. "Oh, it's still sexist." <laughs> anyway, um, no, I was just going to say I, I like watching stuff when I go to sleep, and I've been watching uh, like the last probably four or five nights. I just keep putting on because. Uh, Goonies, the Goonies was uploaded to Netflix. I've got it. I've got the Blu-ray collector's edition anyway. But mm. you know how you, when you own it, you never put it on. Uh, it's on Netflix, so I've been putting it on and just falling asleep to it. Do you know how you have? I was just going to say, I love that movie so much. Do you know how? Um, I don't know if you have it, but I have certain '80s movies that I could just watch like over and over and never get sick of it. Like I think I was just thinking the, the ones for me are the Goonies, Lost Boys. And the Burbs are the three movies that I could just watch over and over. And I have watched them hundreds, yeah, yeah, yeah. hundreds of times each. Um, you know? Any movie that I like, I can always put on. Like, I've, I've probably said this before, but just the fact that uh, my son is sort of like always in the room or like in the, the main sort of TV room is that I don't put on a lot of my favorite movies anymore because they're all restricted. Because I would have mm-hmm. Scarface playing all the time. Like, I, I love that movie. Scarface. Yeah, actually, that's another one for me, too. I have to yeah. Because <laughs> oh, I don't know if I have any, like, the kid <laughs> ones. Because, like, for me, I'll say it, I don't like The Goonies. What? Um, because I didn't watch it as a kid. <sighs> uh, I didn't you. see it as a kid. So I only watched it for the first time as a, an adult. And it just didn't do anything for me. Like, I was like, what is this silly movie? When I was a kid, I liked the game Goonies because Goonies for Nintendo had a cool song in it. Yeah. But I never really knew what the Goonies was. Like, I knew it as the game with that cool music. But, uh, like, what would be my thing? Sort of like a comfort thing that's like a cheesy movie, but that's still fun. It's got to be something. Hmm, I'll have to think about that one. But I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, but when it hits you in that nostalgic spot, and the movies, like, for example, The Goonies, a lot of it doesn't even make sense, you know. No, I mean, it's true. It's like, a lot of it doesn't really make sense. Uh, it's pretty ridiculous in some parts. But it doesn't matter, because it's in that special nostalgic spot in your heart, and it takes you back to that moment when you are a kid. And you love yes. the scenery and the visuals so much. 
and uh, you can just keep watching it again and again. I mean, I'll have to visit. I, I really need to visit Astoria, where the Goonies is set, which is in, um, I believe it's in Washington. No, it's in Oregon, sorry, close to Washington State, right on the border there. And I have to go visit there. I know uh, I know Jake has been there. Jake Freeman's been there, and he's posted photos, and I'm so jealous. Lately, since I haven't had a lot of time to really just sit and focus on things, every time I boot up Netflix... I always want to watch something I haven't seen. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. But then I end up then I end up flicking through watching nothing, and then sometimes <laughs> it would just be easier if I if I put on something like that I recognize and then just sort of fall asleep to. Because what did I watch the other day? Oh yeah, they put like There Will Be Blood. I, I know this isn't retro, but uh, like There Will Be Blood is a movie that I really like. The movie's so bleak. I swear to God. Oh, but it's so awesome. Like his his performance in that movie, I actually find a lot of it funny. Uh, yeah. Just because he's he's like he's like this over the top character, yeah. And yeah, really uh, holy shit! <laughs> like, there's a line in there that I still love right now. It's at the beginning of the film. There's this character called Paul who goes and and, t- and tells them where they can get oil, and they don't necessarily believe him. And Daniel Plainview is just like, "Well, I don't want to give you money until we go up there." And then Paul's like, "You know, just give me five hundred dollars. I swear there's oil up there." So they eventually he agrees to give him the money, and then he goes and shakes his hand, and he's just like. Now, if I go up there and there's no oil, I'm going to find you and I'm going to take more than my money back. Is that all right with you? And he like <laughs> shakes his hand. And I love the, is that all right with you? Like, I just burst out laughing. Like, what a fucking badass thing to say to something as you're shaking their hand. Like you're saying, like, if I don't, if, 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 if you're lying to me, like, I'm going to kill you. Is that all right with you? Like, it's just such an awesome way to end a threat. And he's like shaking his hand and just looking him right in the eye as he says it. And it's like, how awesome is this fucking character? Like, it just makes me laugh. And the scenes where he's fucking drunk and he's like yelling at that dude and they're in the restaurant. He's just like, how about uh, I come to your house at night and I slit your throat? And then the dude's just like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm talking about making a deal. You're talking about slitting my throat? Like, It's just so crazy. Like, uh, anyway, sorry. I I just, uh, to me, it's like Scarface. There's these characters that are like these over the top, almost cartoonish, but just so awesome. Mm. And that actually brings me to a point about Scarface. I was thinking about this the other day, about the way that movies are made now and how people are being very sensitive to making the casts inclusive and trying not to, uh, you know, whitewash, which is when, you know, you cast like a white actor in a role that is intended for, uh, uh, you know, another ethnicity or whatever. Mm. And I thought about this. If Scarface was made today, it wouldn't be like you couldn't make it, right? Because it's all just fucking white actors painted brown doing crazy characters. Yeah, but they still do it. Bullshit. They still do it. You look at fucking uh, Prince of Persia. It's all white people in the lead roles. But think about what happens to those movies. Those movies get publicly shamed for doing it, right? And then we've seen, like, articles lately about certain movies where, like, you know, they find out, like, oh, this character in the comic book is actually Chinese, and they, they cast a, a white dude, and they, the one dude, like, dropped... I think that was for, like, the Hellboy reboot. Yeah. Uh, the actor dropped out because in the comic, the and, and then they, they changed the, the casting and stuff. And the thing is, I like over-the-top cartoony performances. Like, they're fun to, for me. So yeah. while I totally understand the argument that, you know, whitewashing is, is not a great thing to do, and I get that, mm. but at the same time, Scarface, he's not even doing like a kind of a Cuban accent. He's doing an insane cartoon voice that's like an approximation of something. So that performance and that movie is so special because of that. But yet, if you made that movie now, 
and it was the same plot, like Cuban refugee to the United States, they would just cast an actual Cuban guy. Yeah, that's right. So then it wouldn't have that same cartoonish charm that Scarface has, because everybody in that movie is doing these insane voices. And while I could understand if someone was like actually Cuban going like, that's not what a Cuban person sounds like or looks like, I'm like, yeah. But whatever happened, the magic of making that movie, it turned out a whole bunch of actors who everybody in that movie is awesome, and they all have memorable lines. They all deliver them awesome. I mean, fucking Frank Lopez, fucking Omar Suarez, fucking Tony mm. Montana, like everybody is awesome in that movie. And it is because that they're cartoon characters. They're not actual Cuban people. So I'm, I don't know what the point I'm making is. <laughs> as far as like the discussion goes, I'm just saying like if Scarface was made now, it wouldn't be what it is. And it is what it is because yeah. of the ridiculousness of the fact that it's a bunch of white people like doing crazy accents. So it's, it's difficult for me because Scarface is like my favorite movie. Like it's an awesome fucking movie and it's hilarious. Well, I get the argument. I mean, people say, I know it's kind of ridiculous. You'll get movies that are set in the Middle East or something. And, and it's like, what was the one that I saw? Um, oh, there was one I saw recent. I can't remember. The Gods of Egypt or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like the two leads. That, you know, and I'm like, look, I understand if it was all Middle Eastern people, I don't think it would sell as well in the Western world. Yeah. It wouldn't. That's a fact. Well, that's the reason. Like it is business. People generally want to watch well-known actors like Jared Butler and all these fucking, you know, whoever, Matt Damon and all these they just we just do that's just the way it is so I, I kind of so I can understand why they go for the safe actors you know that that generally will put uh, asses in the seats you know but um, but then on the other hand I see the argument that other people because it is kind of ridiculous you're going well are they fucking Middle Eastern or not because they don't even look Middle Eastern again we talked about this last week it's like people will just generalize so now I'm seeing there is genuine whitewashing that is when a white actor is cast yeah. in a role that is intended for another ethnicity. That is what whitewashing is. So like you're talking about, when you have a yes. movie that takes place in Egypt and it's all fucking white dudes mm. with like mascara on, that is whitewashing, right? Those, those aren't real, like that's not what the people look like over there. Yeah. Sometimes I see people complaining about stuff that like isn't whitewashing, but they call it whitewashing. So like when people complained about Matt Damon in that movie, like Great Wall, mm. it's like... He was he's not playing a Chinese guy. You know, like he's playing a white That's, dude in China, which is like fine. That's exactly where I was going with that. I was going to say that's the gray area because I don't have a problem I don't really have a problem with that because as long as he's not acting like I mean, if you look back at the 50s and 60s movies where, uh, what was that one? Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's, I think, was the worst one where the guy's acting. Well, okay, uh, yes, yes. But that's like, that. that is the example, right? The fucking Mickey Rooney with the Chinese. That like, is so yeah. bad, you know. <laughs> so, yes. So that that is really bad. So, I mean, I, I don't know. It is a grey area, though. But but I hear you. When, they, when it's an actual Westerner that's over there, well... Is it really whitewashing? I, d I don't know. Well, no, you know? it's not. That's the thing. It's not. And so when I see people complain about stuff like that, it's like, dude, like, so what? So now, like, if you make a movie that takes place, like, in the States or something, and there's, like, a Chinese actor that that's, like, bad because they're not all fucking white people if they're in, like, some white neighborhood or something, like, it's fine. Like, if you're playing a white person, that's right. then you can be a white... But then it gets in this weird area of, like, now it's like, well, who gets yeah. to play what? Because I've see I saw people complain in one movie because Jared Leto played, like, yeah. a transgender person, and I remember people, like, yeah. complaining about that I'm like okay well how far is this gonna fucking go are you fucking serious like how far is this gonna go to the point where it's just like oh he's playing a cop well but he's not a cop in real life so he can't play one in a movie like part of acting is pretend like that's part of acting you know what I mean and so there has to be some reasonable 
you know, you got to be reasonable. I mean, they're pretending. That's what they're doing. So now we've yeah. established certain rules that there's certain things that people aren't allowed to pretend to be. Which is weird, but I get it, sort of. But then, you know, when people complained about Iron Fist before it came out, and, you know, rightly after it came out because it wasn't very good. That's right. It was almost like this weird backwards racism where people were complaining that he wasn't cast as an Asian actor, even though he is white in the comic books. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, wait a second. So, so you're weird. now your brain is telling you that no one can do karate unless they're fucking Asian? And how is that, how is that not the racist opinion? Mm. Like, that makes no fucking sense. Like, well, no white person could ever fucking throw a kick. Like, he has to be cast as an Asian person. Like, well, doesn't that make you racist for assuming <laughs> that every Asian person knows karate? Like, isn't isn't that racist? I think people just need to chill out and get a life. I mean, it's like fucking outrage over everything. I mean, it's ridiculous. So what? A transgender person in a movie has to be played by a transgender person. I mean, is that what... I haven't heard that one before, but that's just nuts. I mean, seriously. Well, yeah, that was... Uh, I forget the movie, but it was, it was Jared Leto. Uh, I don't know if he was playing a transgender. Fuck it, the hell. It was, but it was just sort of like, well, wait a second. Like, let's fucking ease this off just a bit here because we're we're getting to the point now where it's literally like, you'll have to play exactly what you are and that's it. And then it's like, well, what about character actors? Like, that's not even acting. That's yeah. not even acting then. Yeah. You might as well just... That's not acting then. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, yeah, <laughs> let's listen to some music. We were talking for a while. <laughs> we're touching up on the serious subjects here on Beyond Synth. Um, where was I up to? Oh, okay. Uh, I think I've got a track here from Alpha Rhythm. I don't know if you've heard of him, yep. but he's got a really cool new track called Animus. All right, well, let's check it out, man. Let's give that a spin. I may have actually... <laughs> Have I played that one? Well, it doesn't matter. It's good. I like Alpha Rhythm, actually. He, he makes a lot of cool tunes. I've got other tracks if you want me to play something else, Andy. Hey, you know what, man? This is Marco's pick. This is Marco's time. It's time for Animus by Alpha Rhythm.
And that was Alpha Rhythm with the track Animus, ha, Marco's second pick of the week. Yes. Here, let's move to uh, less serious yes. pastures here. Yeah, because I've got a feeling we're getting in trouble. We probably said something wrong. You know how it is. You can't do anything without yeah. somebody uh, having a problem with it. Let's talk some video games or something. Sure, man. What's up? <laughs> what have you been doing? Um, I've been playing some games, but nothing 80s, though, lately. That's the only thing. Sorry, Lou. Uh... <laughs> Fuck Lou. I, I, I put in... Uh... <laughs> hey, hey, Lou's cool. Don't leave Lou alone. I put in... Um... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he... Uh, or he also put his... <laughs> Here, I'll tell you a story all about Lou. <laughs> he went for a run. Uh, no, I, I went... Uh, I, I booted up my NES emulator, and I played uh, Predator the other day. Nice. It's so terrible. But it's so bad, it's good, right? Well, it, it's got some music in there that's awesome. <laughs> I'll put in a sample if I can find it from level... I think it's level three is my favorite. Uh, Perfect. screen of predator for the nes is amazing and it's just this picture like it's the picture of arnold from the box yeah and weird because the game it literally says schwarzenegger predator like that's almost like what the name of the game is (laughs) that's all you need to know andy (laughs) and then you're just you're like running around the forest fighting soldiers and weird creatures and stuff like the game makes no sense but it's one of those classic nes games where the last boss is just a giant head that shoots lasers out of its mouth because I think that happens a lot in old video games where, like, there's always, like, some final boss that's just a big head. I need to get a Nintendo emulator. I want to play fucking Contra again. It's been ages, Andy. For the NES or, or fucking Contra 3, the Alien Wars? Well, both. I actually like both. All the Contras are good, man. Uh, yeah. Contra's fucking hard. It's very hard, but that's the cool cool thing about it. But with the emulators, you can save it if you want to cheat anyway, but I don't like cheating. I do. Oh, man, I'm in a real fucking... I'm in a real uh, retro gaming mood right now. Like, um... Just trying to think certain games. Do you remember, um... Oh, shit. What was it called? What was that Ninja... (laughs) Ninja Gaiden. You remember the original Ninja Gaiden? Fuck, that was good at its time. Even when I was a kid, I always called it Ninja Gaiden, but I believe it's Ninja Gaiden. Oh, it's a Gaiden? I've always always called it Gaiden. I, I have too, and everybody I know always called it Ninja Gaiden. And but I but I believe it's Ninja Gaiden. I'm gonna Google it now. It's the same with uh, you know Ryu from Street Fighter, right? Like I always called him Ryu. I always called him Ryu too. Yeah, and it's actually Ryu. Wait a second, I'm googling this. How to pronounce Ga- Gaiden? Hang on, Gaiden. Oh fuck, it better not be. I, I hate being wrong like this. Especially when no one corrects me. I like no. Everyone's everyone's wrong. That's the thing, though. Like everyone said, Ninja Gaiden. I don't think I ever met anyone who said Ninja Gaiden. Wait a sec. Now wait a sec. Hey, I've got a link for you. Look at this. I, I look. I don't know if this is right. This is just a YouTube video. But have a look at this under that end. I think it's Gaiden. Is he saying Gaiden or Gaiden? Hold on. Well, what is this though? What have you sent me? Gaiden. Gaiden. <laughs> Gaiden. 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 And look, he's this. Gaiden. <laughs> Here's a scene from Wizard. Here's okay. a scene from Wizard. Well, all right, here you go. Hang on, hang on. You just touched on my, one of my favorite fucking things on YouTube, man. 
Yeah. I'm going to do this on the real Beyond Synth, so bear for people who listen to this and then watch the show. I, one day, was looking up fucking um, King Arthur legends, okay? Right. And King Arthur's dad is called Uther Pendragon. And I was I was looking up these names. I forget what this was mm-hmm. for, but I was just looking it up. Maybe I was doing some research or something. This was like a few months ago. And then I was like, oh, and then and I was reading the biography of the characters and it says Uther Pendragon's father's name was some wizard or something called what I thought was Gorlois. It was like G O R L O I S. And I'm like, Gorlois, is that how you say it? So then I typed into YouTube, how do you pronounce Gorlois? And then it pulled up exactly what you just sent me for fucking Gaiden, okay? (laughs) The same video, the white screen with the black text, which is completely useless for ten different reasons. So one, it said the word incorrectly. Two, it's an indiscernible computer voice. Three, it repeats it over and over again with a crazy fucking, like, sound glitch every time the sound repeats, which means you can hardly even, like, focus on the word before it starts looping again. So it's, like, the most useless pronunciation video ever. (laughs) And I cried. <laughs> I cried laughing. Because when I looked it up, it was, it was like, is this Gorlois? And then I click on it, and it just goes, Gorlois, 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 <laughs> like over and over. And I cried laughing. I'm like, Gorlois, 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 Gorlois. The most fucking useless pronunciation help I've ever seen. <laughs> the voice you can't understand. It's saying the word wrong. It's constantly repeating it like it's like it's wrong every way a, word, a thing can be wrong. It's wrong. It's fucking incredible. It's actually one of my favorite videos. I know. I look at them all the time. You know how many times those videos have saved me when I was doing synthetic Sundays? I'd be like, I get some weird fucking European name. I was like, how the fuck you even pronounce it? So I Google it and I get a video and that saved me so many times, Andy. I just follow the pronunciation. But back to Gaiden. Gaiden's Gaiden is a that's a isn't that a, a Japanese word? Is it honestly, is it dude? A, I think it is Gaiden. The second link I sent you is proof. Now this is from the Wizard. The eighties movies, The Wizard. Everybody knows that. The guy mentions Ninja Gaiden in that one. Now listen to that. All right, listen to that second one. Ninja Gaiden. Hey, he says Gaiden. No, he says Gaiden. No, listen. Hang on, let me hear it again. Ninja Gaiden. Hey, he's kind of saying it in the middle. Guy, de- guy, den, yeah, because he, he's he's not saying gay den, he's saying gay den, like he's he's doing it, he's he's playing both sides. Well, I'll tell you what, look, we we're, we're undecided, so in the comments, please uh, correct us if we're wrong. What does everybody think? What's the consensus on that one? Hey, ninja, gay den, hey. Help us out here, will ya? Yeah. We need that, that special guy, you know, the one that you, uh, that usually with these podcasts sits in the background and, like, knows all the information and, like, tricks. Anyway. That, that's something I've needed for years. I, like, I need, I need that nerd in the background who just goes, you're wrong, you're wrong. Actually, maybe I don't. Uh, do you want to, do you want to play me a, a final song here before we, uh, we go away? Sure, I've got one from, a uh, new one from Alexander Warnoff. Uh, I'm a bit of a fan of his, and uh, he's got a new one called Transatlantic, and I'm playing the soft version. I don't know what's the difference between the two. They sound pretty much the same to me, but uh, it's a soft version. All right, well, this is Alexander Warnoff with the track Transatlantic, the soft version.
And that was Transatlantic, the soft version, by Alexander Warnoff. And that was Marco's third pick of the week, and that's a nice track. Thanks, Marco, for picking a lot of lovely music to listen to today. There have been some nice ones this week. They're the softer ones. Next week's Halloween, so we'll have some darker shit, hopefully. But uh, Happy but Halloween! I was hoping I would spend it in America this time, because we really don't celebrate Halloween very much here, but... Uh, yeah, anyway, I keep saying that, but next year, next year, surely. But uh, now, just quickly on Ninja Gaiden as well. Did you know in Japan, it's it was known as Ninja Ryukuden, Ryuk, Ryukenden, Ryukenden. That's it. <laughs> yes, I did know that. And in Europe, it was called Shadow Warriors. <laughs> what about that? Did you know that Shadow Warriors in Europe? Dude, I know all. That. I'm that nerd now in the back of the thing. Oh, please, bullshit. Hey, fuck you guys, man. I know, I know, <laughs> I know it. That's my new character. I've been testing out new characters. There's that one, and then there was, like... I think I had, like, uh, Iverson on the show, and I was doing an impression of the one dude's mom. But I don't know if I can do it again. Hold on. What the fuck are you doing? Well, take out this dishes, you bastard! So that's my new character. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. I don't know what that is. That is some sort of... It's almost like, uh, <laughs> English. It's almost like an old English lady. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to be, but... <laughs> Anyways... Listen, man, it was a lot of fun chatting with you. Always a pleasure, Andy. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll fucking, uh, we'll catch up with you next time. How about that? Yeah, we'll do. Thanks, Andy. Uh, see you, everyone. Catch ya. Catch ya? Yeah, catch ya. Catch ya later. <laughs> Is that your new exit line? Yeah, I'll catch ya. Well, listen, man, just keep it real and keep it 80s. That's my line. Well, you, you didn't <laughs> say it. You, you're saying fucking catch ya. I know, I don't want to say it every week. I don't want to repeat myself every week, you know? <laughs> We're not going to get into this again, are we? How people do podcasts and they do the same fucking intro every week. It drives me nuts. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, I've talked to you about this before. There's one guy. Look, there's quite a number of... <laughs> anyway, don't even get me into it. I'm supposed to be saying goodbye. We can talk about this another time. Thanks, Andy. See you, everyone. Thank you. Catch ya. All right, man. Later. <laughs> Keep it 80s. And that was my conversation with Marco Merrick. I hope I get some lovely letters about our big conversation about whitewashing. <laughs> I, I think I'm no, I think I'm on the right side of this, aren't I? I just don't go to crazy extremes. That's all. I think uh, you know that's my opinion on whitewashing. It's bad when it's actual whitewashing, and if people say it's whitewashing when it's not whitewashing, then it's not whitewashing. That's my opinion, and I'm gonna stick to that one. Why am I even still talking about this? Fuck you. <laughs> that's for you. That's all of you. The audience. You're all. F- yeah. I'm just kidding. I love you all. Uh, thank you for listening to Beyond Synth. Let's listen to another track, and then we'll go to the Patreon, and then uh, SJ Bravo will talk to me. So, here is a track by Moon Dragon. He had a new album come out, uh, was that a month ago? When was that? It was sometime. Moon Dragon. And it's called Grand Prix, and this track is called Suzuka Circuit.
That was Suzuka Circuit by Moon Dragon. And Moon Dragon's cool. You know, you can always go back and listen to the back catalog of Beyond Synth where I chatted with Moon Dragon. I don't remember what episode number that is. I feel like it was in the 70s or the 40s. Hmm. My memory's great. <laughs> Anyways, uh, let's go to the Patreon. So, as you guys know, Beyond Synth has a Patreon. Patreon is a website, a website where you can go to help donate money to Beyond Synth. That's this show. And if people donate to Beyond Synth, there's uh, different tiers where there's certain prizes. They're not very good uh, prizes, but they're there. Mostly people just do it for the love of this wonderful program. And of course, uh, if you support the Patreon on uh, Beyond Synth, you're also supporting the real Beyond Synth, the YouTube show, which there will hopefully be more episodes of someday. There is currently one, <laughs> and I hope to make more. So people who donate to the Patreon, you're supporting the show. Uh, you can donate as little as a dollar, up to whatever you want. Uh, people who donate 10 bucks, I do special uh, shout-out videos for them, and uh, you get uh, shout-outs on this show. And uh, also on the real Beyond Synth, you're names will be in the credits. Anyways, I'd like to thank my lovely $5 Pattersons. There's Kai, Joe, and Lando, Roman, Cunning Corvid, Bobby B, John Eternal, Dougie Fresh, Lame Robot, Florence Bullock, Matthew Lister, Simon Norberg, Veilingo, New Gat Ninja, The Rosconian, Night Raptor, Stu M, Ross Pentland, Dana Jean Phoenix, Tristan Waits, Rawl Pud, Barons of Santa Carla, Starlight Fisher, Timothy Pierce, Corey Valentine, Orlando Rodriguez Neef, Marco Cranendonk, Martin Larby, Face Hugger, Brad Neiman, Zychorax, Lee McConnell, and we got two new $5 Pattersons this week. That's fun. Uh, there's Phil Clothier, or is it Clothier? Phil. I think it's Clothier. It's like Clothier, like people who make clothes. A Clothier. So I imagine your ancestors made clothes. And now you have carried on the legacy of these wonderful clothiers by giving me $5. And I will use that monthly donation to buy a solid gold rocket car. Thanks, Phil. You're a cool guy. And also new donor this week, Hala. H-A-L-L-A. Hala. Hala. Is that how you say it? Hala. 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 Anyways, Hala, thank you for donating to the show. You're cool. You don't have a last name like Phil Clothier, so I don't know uh, what your ancestors did. I'm assuming also that Hala is not your real name, so I don't even know what you do. But I do know one thing. You're cool and you donate to Beyond Synth, which means that you and I are best friends. <laughs> I say that, but I don't think any of my actual friends listen to my show. You know, like the friends I grew up with. I don't even think they know I do a show. 
I don't really talk about it. Very rarely I'll sort of bring up like, oh, the podcast I do, but I don't think any of them have heard a single second of it. My mom doesn't know how to work a fucking computer, and that's my I, maybe my dad to listen to it. I mean, I don't know why they would. There's nothing there for them. Anyways, uh, thank you, Hala, for donating to Beyond Synth. It means a lot to me. It really does. And then there's Ethan Hennings, who is a cool guy. Just thought I'd let you all know. And now it's time for the donation of the beast. This is the donation of the beast. All right, these are my lovely Patreon donors who love the devil and everything he stands for. They donate six sixty six a month. There's Josh Conklin, a.k.a. Rings, Hellroy, Lucas Ceballos, Blake Peterson, Carm, Straylight, Lonnie Taylor, Till Wild, Ken Giroux, and Moose Nux. Thanks, guys, for donating money to me. And, of course, Max Hutchings, keeping evil at bay. And now my lovely $10 Pattersons. There's Trevor Resnick. There's Colin Bennett, a.k.a. FM84. There's Fraser Davidson, a.k.a. Mr. Davidson. There's Winfield, Will Lowe, Joshua Everson, Slunks, and I can't yell your name because uh, I'm right now recording in the middle of the night and I do not want to wake the children. So I will just say, quite calmly and directly, fucking slunks. Or is it funnier if I say fucking slunks? Because I, I pronounced the G of fucking just now. Fucking slunks. Then there's Greg Smith, Ashley Keegan. Ashley Keegan is Irish. I should practice my Irish impression. Thank you for donating. Is that good? Thank you for donating, Ashley. It means a lot to me. You know, we work really hard on this show, and I just want you to know that I appreciate your donation. So you keep being cool, and that's all I have to say about that. I'll work on it. Then there's Tim Walmsley, Mike Shima, Shaboogan, Playmaker Media, Murat Ogute, Elias Garnier, Polly Digital, and then with the 1111, it's the lovely Chris Lyle-Lane. With the 1987, it's Frank Skinicki. With the 2288, it's Mr. Jacob Wick. And then, of course, my lovely uh, $25 pals. There's Chris Dance, the coolest of the cool. Gregorio Franco, the most Franco of them all. And White Tiger, some guy with a beard. But uh, go check out White Tiger's uh, album. He uh, sponsored the show a few weeks back. And that is the Patreon for this week. So let's listen to another track. Here's a nice one from Nina. This is Counting Stars.
That was Counting Stars by Nina. Uh, Nina's cool. You can go back and listen to an old Beyond Simpth. Beyond Simpth. <laughs> I don't even know what this show is. Uh, Beyond Synth episode where Nina was in studio. And that was a fun one, if you know what I mean. And now let's uh, go to SJ Bravo interviewing Andy Synth on Beyond Synth. Cool. All right, I'm ready to go, man. All right, cool. So, how how do you want to do this? Basically, I've been interviewing a, a number of people. It's been, but it's been sort of dry is probably the right word. Mm. Just like real <laughs> sort of academic and, and clean cut. Sure. But I mean, if you're, it, it, this is slightly different in in that you know the potential for you to to use it. So maybe we'll do it slightly differently, and I'll set the ball rolling. And we can just have more of a discussion rather than me just asking a million questions of you and just getting you to talk for like half an hour or whatever yeah i don't mind to be honest with you my brain is dead it's the morning it's very early morning so yeah uh, okay asking, so just like uh, i'll 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 do whatever great that's fine with me that's that's really good so shall we get the ball rolling mm-hmm. great i got a, quite a, a list of questions here just about your experiences with the music that you work with about guests you've had on etc sure so uh Largely, the concept is that the project I'm working on at the minute is a study of, of retro synth music. More specifically, I guess you'd, you'd call it synthwave, but that sort of deals with the first question that I've got for you. And that is that the genre that your podcast largely deals with has got a load of different names. People have given it over time. Synthwave, retrowave seem to be the most popular mm. of those names. Other people use of outrun for a subgenre of that dark synth for, for, for a darker variant of that and in in the early days of the genre there's evidence of other terms being used have you got a personal preference for a name and and, and why do you have that preference i do and it's laziness uh i just say synth wave um but it's because i'm lazy because i have a personal resentment against um millions of subgenres. Yeah, it's it's one of the rants I sort of go on periodically about, you know, if you, if you take electronic music, and especially um, remember in like the early two thousand stuff when there was like trance, and then there was all these other things that were popping up like jungle and all these other things. Yeah, to me, they were differentiated by very small variations. So it was like you know this is a disco fusion techno and the difference is like the beat is slightly different and then there'd be another genre that sounds exactly the same except it's played at a higher bpm and now all of a sudden it's jungle and that frustrates me sure because essentially it's all it's like electronic music like i like electronic music synthwave is the term i use as a blanket term for all this stuff that i play on the show retro electronic music but I've had this argument with a lot of people. So everyone I talk to, I mean, the funny thing about synthwave is not a lot of synthwave artists consider themselves synthwave. So that's one thing. Exactly. So yeah. I, whenever I have that conversation with anyone, they'll be like, yeah, but you know, I don't really consider myself synthwave. Nobody considers themselves synthwave, but people use that tag when they post their music. So it's different for everyone. I just say synthwave because I'm lazy. 
that's the answer there. So it's just, I just like anything that has like an electronic sound. So not everything I play on the show is necessarily synth wave, no. but for my personal tastes, I've always just loved any music that has some sort of electronic stuff happening in there. So that can even be like rock music if it's got, if there's a keyboard section or if there's like a cool keyboard solo, because I've always found for the music I like that the synth part was always the hook for me. It was always the cool part of the song. So even if it's like got some epic like guitar stuff going on, it's that like synth pad in the background that's like bringing the whole thing home. And so, you know, with lots of songs I listened to as a kid uh, and now it's always it's always the synth thing. It's always like when the person's done singing in like the chorus and there's that little bit at the end that where the keyboard guy plays a few notes before it gets back to the song. Like that's the part that was always the hook for me. I was going to say, do you, do you think that there's a tendency for fans of a certain genre to try and break it down even smaller, you know, mm-hmm. like you were just saying, the different subgenres within Synthwave, just to an outsider, perhaps someone who's not interested in the genre, maybe to them it all sounds the same and there's very little difference, but to someone who's more active in the scene, interested in it, they start noticing small differences that become big differences and then they try and box it off into five new genres within what is already a pretty small niche area yeah for me i want there to be some unity in the scene only because it's so small so to me the idea of divisions at this stage makes no sense if you have a thing where like billions of people are listening to it and there are these very clear distinctions because i don't want to shit on the idea of people finding you know differences and and wanting to categorize them because obviously Mm. even within synth wave there's the people who they don't like vocal tracks for example then there's other people who you know exclusively like vocal tracks i'm the kind of guy i like everything because i think everything serves a purpose I mean, I think I've said this before on the show, but it's like when I walk around, when I'm walking through town or whatever, I like listening to the more poppy kind of synth tracks. And when I'm working, if I'm trying to come up with creative ideas, I listen to the more ambient or cinematic kind of synth tracks. Uh, It helps my thought process and it like sort of fuels my imagination. But for me personally, so while I'm going to say I don't fault people for doing it, I think it's stupid. But it, but I'm not. If they want to do that, that's fine. For me, it's like it's all just cool music. I can go straight from a perturbator track into a sunglasses kid track. I obviously clearly see that those are two different styles of music. Sure, yeah. But they are to me. They're just this blanket of cool stuff I like. They're sort of two extremes, really. You know, perturbator is really heavy, possibly metal influenced sort yeah. of sound. Whereas sunglasses kid largely seems to be imitating 80s pop music rather than necessarily 80s dance music even or or, or anything of that kind why do you think that that is why do you think these people that in other circumstances probably wouldn't have anything in common what what is it that they've got in common that that's brought them into one genre that, that has got quite a wide difference in sound I mean, first of all, the 80s, right? I mean, that's largely where a lot of people are getting their inspiration from. And I'm going to say even like 80s, I'm going to say late 70s, 80s, 90s. Like there is 90s in there too, because obviously people like Perturbator, Ghost, uh, you know, Dan Terminus, those dudes, uh, Carpenter Brute. I mean, there is some industrial in there too. And that was really sort of like a 90s kind of thing. Definitely what we all have in common is nostalgia And the way that it differs is just the way that people filter through that. So for me, I just consider how interesting it is that people can be fans of certain stuff. And when it becomes their turn to create, 
They can produce wildly different things. Like I'm a, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. Okay, so. The producers of the new show, since it's been rebooted in like 2004 or whatever, they've all been fans of the classic series of Doctor Who. So all the people who have produced that show, TV producers now, they always talk about how Doctor Who was their favorite show. And yet once they started producing the show, they took it in a direction that surprised me. And I was like, whoa, like these are fans of the show. Like they must really like this show for very different reasons than I do. Because if I was the producer, it would be a completely different thing. So I've always found that interesting. Because if you look at people like in the synthwave scene, their bios, uh, what they like, you know, they'll cite the same movies, you know, they'll cite the same artists. And yet when it becomes their turn to create, they will produce, you know, very different things. Now, to be fair, it does seem like the darker dudes do cite a lot more horror influences. But I I will say like when when Sunglasses Kid talks about his favorite Influences like there is more of that sort of cheesy eighties pop in there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always I've always seen it as like uh, the difference, like a bit, maybe a bit of a cliche, but at one end you got sort of John Carpenter, and at the other end you got John Hughes. You know, mm-hmm. that's the sort of difference that I sort of see in the width of the scene that exists at the moment. You know, it's it's of an era and it's of a style, but different takes on that style. And mixed in there also is video games. So synthwave to me is like this blend of nostalgia cinema and video games like you were saying before how people you know this genre has had different sort of names and they are different like i'm i don't deny that outrun is you know very different than sort of like 80s inspired pop music or whatever like they are different things but they sort of had their genesis sort of around the same time like the synthwave scene like when it started popping up and I think that the the big thing was was the influencers you know a lot of the artists were men of a certain age I mean I think Sunglass Kid and I are literally the same age and you know video games are a big part of our growing up and Outrun was uh, as a style was very video gamey like that's the stuff when you listen to that stuff it sounds like video game music albeit like really cool video game music yeah I mean when I play games if I put on a synthwave playlist it's always perfect it doesn't matter what game you're playing it's just like this is this is the music that's designed to you know play games to so that's infused in there as well so it's interesting so then and then everybody takes those elements to certain extremes right so there is the synthwave stuff that's very video gamey that's very, uh, you know, you just uh, you just imagine like a racing game and stuff, and it's so perfect for it. That's why I love that these artists now are, are there's a lot more team ups happening with like these indie development studios making video games because these artists are basically making music that's just designed for this stuff. It's like perfect. All right, are you having a good time, guys, listening to this uh, conversation with SJ Bravo and me? Let's. Yes, all the interruptions are going to be this fucking weird and off-putting. Let's listen to another track, uh, because that is what we're going to do today. So here's a track by CJ Burnett, and this uh, is a song called Coontosh Chase.
And that was Coontosh Chase by C.J. Burnett. I'm going to take a sip of water here. Mmm, good water. And now let's uh, rejoin my conversation with S.J. Bravo, where I think we were talking about listening to music while playing video games. Mmm, a new topic for this show, to be sure. I mean, the video game thing is quite interesting because if I listen to some of the, the more outrunny stuff, it does sound like video game, but it sounds more maybe 90s video games, sort of 16-bit era, mm-hmm. uh, Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, rather than earlier stuff, you know, uh, the original Nintendo or whatever. Yep. So I think there's a, a kind of um, cross-contamination uh, between maybe 80s film influence and, and, and 90s video game influence, you know. Because you got to consider the age of the people were when these things were going on. Sure. So this is a conversation I've had with Sunglasses Kid before because I consider myself, a, you know, a child of the 80s, right? I was born in 81. I think Sunglasses Kid was as well. His argument is technically if you're born in the 80s, you're technically a child of the 90s because that's when you're developing your taste for things and stuff like that, right? You'll be like 9, 10 years old. Those are the cartoons you watched and so on. For me, and I don't know if it's just because I was more... I absorbed more stuff when I was young, but a lot of the things that I loved from a very early age are still things I really like, and those things were in the 80s. Like, um, I actually don't like the 90s as a, as a decade. Like, when I think back to the 90s, it annoys me. Even though a lot of my favorite movies and things are from that time, just, I don't know, there's something about the overall aesthetic of the 90s that frustrates me, like, when I look, when I think back to the way people were dressed and stuff, but that's a personal thing, but, you know, like, my favorite cartoons, a lot of them are from the 80s, a lot of my favorite movies are from the 80s, and I watched them in the 80s, and... In the 90s was probably where I did more of my gaming because that's when, you know, you get a bit older and then you can actually, like, get your own video game system or if you got to buy it yourself and it happens during that time. So the 90s was my big video game playing time. That was, like, Super Nintendo and N64. So it makes sense that other people my age would probably travel that same path, you know, because that's when you get into it, because that's high school. So that's when, you know, you you go home and you spend all the days like uh, playing video games and getting mad at your parents or whatever. Whereas when you're a kid, you're still sort of you still got to follow the rules a bit more, depending on your parents, I guess. That's a whole other thing. I mean, I think it's quite interesting how different people remember things differently. I spoke to Robert Parker and there's a quote. He had a quote. It said synthwave is uh, nostalgia with selective memory loss. And I find it interesting that a lot of the music that's being produced now is sort of some hyped up, perfect, pristine version of elements from the 80s or, or early 90s, I think. That's what I like about it, though, because the thing is, it, like, I totally understand it. It is nostalgia music, but it's the music is nostalgia. Like, it's not about recreating stuff that happened before. It's very much about evoking what it felt like because when i go back and watch like 80s movies they don't all have synth scores not all the tv shows have synth scores but when i hear synth wave it evokes that the idea of the whole thing when i hear like someone like ogre for example when he when he uh, does his albums a lot of them are sort of these like faux uh uh, scores for uh, movies that don't exist and they're really well done. And I listen to that and it reminds me of just the 80s, you know, 80s movies. But then when I look back at a lot of my favorite 80s movies, they've got orchestral scores. Like, they're not synth. Yeah. Like, it's pretty much Blade Runner and, you know, like, what, Chariots of Fire. I mean, like, there's not like, it's not like the, the scene is full of them, legend. So they're there. 
obviously, but it's, it's not, I guess, super defining of the time. It's just, it, it's the same with the artwork as well. Like, people are always posting the pictures of, like, you know, the, the women in those workout leotard things. And it's not like everyone in the 80s was walking around wearing those. But for some people, you know, the 80s is literally just fucking guys wearing suit jackets with the sleeves rolled up and pink shirts and everyone's living in Miami and and that's fine. I would be curious to hear somebody actually do... I mean, I think it was Hoo-Ha who wanted to do this and I thought it was a hilarious idea. Like, to, to, to do an album of, like, 90s cinematic music but, like, the kind of music you'd hear in, like, a Home Alone film or something. It'd be, like, a comedy concept but just because no one's ever really done that. You know what I mean? Like, and it's always interesting to me when someone tackles a sound that other people haven't been doing. Yeah, for sure. Which is always refreshing, too, because, you know, at, at the start of the synthwave scene, it was mostly all electronic stuff and then there was a few artists here and there who were doing, like, guitar things and then a dude like uh, Myrone comes along and totally does that super, like, that cheesy 80s guitar, kind of over-the-top uh, score stuff, and his music's great. And it's always exciting, too, because there's a there's sort of like a homogenous sound in Synthwave, because there's a lot of people doing it, and they're making a lot of music that sounds very similar to one another. Yeah. So anytime an artist comes along and, like, brings some new flavor to it, uh, that's always welcome. I mean, a case in point is the, is the sort of classic synthwave bass line you know that sort of 16th just repeated on the same note over and over again and it's kind of hard to find a legitimate 80s example where the bass line does exactly that you know there are film scores where it does similar some of the Blade Runner music does similar some of John Carpenter and stuff does similar but it's never there was never a point where that was kind of a thing that happened in a lot of tracks you know what I mean whereas a vast amount of music that's being created now does have that and I'm aware it's maybe a sort of a more modern element that's been brought into the sound yeah it's quite rare if you if you look at the um, the original music it's far more common to find something like funkier bass lines that guys like a highway superstar use mm-hmm. in their music that's far more representative of the 80s sound so I guess a question I have for you on, on in terms of your taste is is it important to you that something does mimic that 80s sound closely or are they just are you looking for just like a little element of that in there that, that, that sort of speaks to you anything with that sort of vibe like it's it can be just that element that just conjures that feeling and there's so many different things that can do that whether it's it's particular instruments mm. certain sounds right so you know in different in different decades when there's different types of electronic music because I've always been into electronic music so there are certain sounds that when you hear them you go oh shit that was that sound you know that they used in this track or whatever and sometimes that's all I need so the, the it could be like a fucking you know like a rap song or something but then, then they in the chorus line they're playing a particular synth sound like during the chorus part and it's that synth sound that goes like oh that's that thing that reminds me of that sort of retro sound when trance came out and then there was like that year where like every song had this beeping kind of noise thing that would pitch bend and like and all the electronic music like they all had to have that weird pitch bend sound and now when i hear it to me it's just like oh that's that fucking instrument from you know 2001 like that every yeah. electronic music you know artist used that year i guess when you have a guy like sunglasses kid you know he'll have these kind of like these funky bass lines going on that track you did with him was very good uh that thing that was my favorite from the album actually appreciate that that's what i've been listening to lately i wanted to do a funny skit with it but sunglasses kid doesn't really have too much of a sense of humor about himself (laughs) 
I mean, we—he's funny. He's a funny guy. We we talk all the time. Yeah, and uh, he has a sense of humor. But whenever I try and turn the thing and 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 suggest that, uh, oh, it wouldn't be funny if I used your song in this like funny skit idea, then it's like not a good idea. Which is uh, too bad because I have a great idea for that fucking song and it would be so funny. Because it's not it doesn't it doesn't make a joke of the song. See, to me, when I hear music that's so legit then I treat it like a real song. Like, you know, if somebody else does, like, a funny YouTube video and they throw some pop song in there, it's because it's, like, a legit song. Yeah. It's, it's to me, the joke is never listen to this silly music. Yeah. There's two things going on. I would say Sunglasses Kid is a great example of this, where he definitely, like, he loves the music he's making, and those are his influences. He likes what he's doing. He's a talented guy. But there is this, there's always going to be that thing hanging over the fact that it is cheesy music. Sure, yeah. And I don't use the word cheesy as a negative, because to me, I love cheesy music. It makes me happy. Like, Take On Me is one of my favorite songs of all time. Like, it's just, it makes me happy. Like, when that thing is on, and uh, I don't think I've ever met anyone who actually says, I don't like Take On Me by AHA. Nah, because it's just, terrible. it's so good. So there's always that that thing hanging over that 80s equals cheesy i mean he said it himself you know he said he has fun with it you know he enjoys it he, he takes it quite light hard but you know at the same time he's not doing it as a joke it's not you know it's not a humorous piece yeah it's not a comedy act and that is important uh, to him and i don't take it as a joke but the idea that 80s can be a joke yeah. And it is a joke, you know, when you see it on certain TV shows, whenever they do, like, pastiche of 80s stuff, and they have these sort of cliched, like, guys walking in with mullets and cheesy music playing. Yeah. I know that there's a part that I think he's he's a little apprehensive to engage the, the funnier side for fear, I think, that it would... Be, be a detriment to the fact that he is being serious. Yeah, got Whereas you. other artists, uh, clearly, I mean, like, Hoo-Ha is an example. Like, just, he makes fun, silly music, and he knows he's being silly. And that yeah. doesn't detract, for me personally, that doesn't detract from the music. Because if I like the music, the motivation to me is irrelevant. All that matters to me is the music. I don't care how it's made. I don't even care sometimes of the production value if the tune is cool. Like, if there's something cool about a track, like, I've played stuff on the show that isn't super professional sounding, but if it's got a great tune, that's that's it for me. I mean, if it's something that I'm actually going to be, like, humming that's going to be stuck in my head, I couldn't give a fuck uh, the production. But that being said, when the production is great, <laughs> that does help. Obviously, it's better to have a uh, really nice production. All right, guys, look, I'm enjoying this conversation I'm having with SJ Bravo, and I hope you are, too. And now let's listen to some music. Uh, here is a cool track by Retouch from the album Light Years. This is actually a pretty cool album uh, all around, and this track is called Earthquake.
And that was Earthquake by Retouch uh, from the album Light Years. Uh, so go check it out. It's funny because in this conversation I'm having with SJ Bravo, we end up talking a lot about Synthwave and not too much about the dark stuff. And I believe from now on, I'm just looking at my playlist and I think it's all like kind of dark stuff. Uh, but we could say we're building up to Halloween. Maybe this show has a theme after all. Anyways, let's go back to my conversation with SJ Bravo. I think now I'm in the middle of talking about selling shit on Craigslist. Like, because I had to sell some of my old video game systems to make some money at one point. Because whenever I sell stuff on the internet, right, it's all people trying to rip you off all the time. Yeah. And there's that point where do you accept... Like, hey, I wanted to sell this thing for a hundred bucks, and then someone messages you, and they're like forty, and you're like, I don't want to sell it for forty. And then after a few weeks, and nobody else is interested, there's that point where you're like, I guess I'll sell it for forty. And so it is sad, you know, that exact situation ha- happened to me with the selling of the video games. So it wasn't me that actually sold them. It was when I was a kid, I used to have this old computer that I loved it, an Amiga five hundred. I don't think they were very popular in the states, but they're really popular in Europe, mm. and it sort of was a big influence for me in terms of the, the music from that has definitely influenced what I wanted to go on and do and one day my parents just said oh we're selling this you know you can have the money and do something else just taking away his room they sold the lot there was there was hundreds of games man it was in the time where the guy down the street would copy a floppy disk for like a pound yeah and yeah, yeah. have the game sort of thing there was hundreds of games and years later I just for, the, for, the, for like 10 15 years I missed this thing still and I just I've got to buy it back I've got to like obviously get this, <laughs> the same one but I just, oh man, and I went insane. I bought shitloads of games, boxes and boxes and boxes. And they just stacked up in the house and just, I'm just feel at peace, you know. So <laughs> I remember my brother had that week. He had a Commodore 64. Yeah. And, and that was the same deal with people like copying discs. So like anytime you went to someone's house who had a Commodore, it's like there was no legitimately purchased discs. They were all just no. these floppy discs with like the handwriting on there and like, weird games. I remember there was like this oh, what the fuck was the game? I still laugh thinking about it because there was like weird like sex games and like uh, there was oh, like yeah, strip poker and stuff. And one of them <laughs> this is my favorite one. It was called Stroker and essentially it was just a game where you just jerked off but you, you had like the, the Epic's joystick that the Commodore used and uh, that's that was the game. You had to like fucking move the joystick up and down really fast, and it was called Stroker, and that was the whole thing. And I'm like, somebody fucking program, someone programmed that. Like, who, who are these people? It's mad. I mean, because I've got so <laughs> many of these discs. Sometimes I just dig a new disc out that I didn't know something I've, I've never experienced before. Mm. I found one the other day that was called Tetris with a with a U. I thought, oh, I like Tetris. Let's, let's give this a crack. Put it in. And basically, you, it's Tetris, but when you complete a certain number of lines, it shows you, like, a nudie picture. Yeah. That's the whole concept of it. And I'm, like, thinking, it's a lot of effort to go to for that content, you know, to complete a full round of Tetris to get that. I just, But, yeah, real popular thing. And think about how they would have had to program that nude picture. Exactly. Because, like, some dude, because that's back in the day when they probably would have had a grid that they would have in front of them and literally program, like... A45 is a blue pixel and like B48 is a red pixel and they would have had to like program this whole thing just to have some stupid naked picture. It's awesome. Just dot by dot. <laughs> weird. You've got to be really desperate to, to go to those lengths. Yeah, I agree. I find stuff like that fascinating. Little oddments, little odd discs that you get. Really like the sort of demo. I don't know if you've ever seen like a demo scene disc. And uh, these guys, particularly Swedish guys, I don't know what it is about Sweden, Scandinavia in general, and synth music, but 
they'd make these demo discs and the sort of animations are just real rudimentary animations with like a chip tune and they're always like a real badass chip tune that someone's programmed in and that was a whole disc just to show off you know yeah 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 i think i've seen some of those like when i would like get uh, roms that's it for emulators and then sometimes there would just be like a rom that's just not a game <laughs> it's just a fucking a picture and some music and you're like all right i guess that's cool yeah man people spend hours days like composing that and it's just I think maybe, and that sort of leads on to another question I wanted to, to ask you about. There are a lot of people now that create Synthwave. Mm. Probably nearly as many people are creating it as there are listening to it, yes. to, be, to be quite honest with you. Mm-hmm. And um, I think some of that is to do with the accessibility of technology, etc. Yes. I mean, you look at what we've just talked about, the difficulty in making one demo scene track, spending days programming note by note, that's pretty pretty painstaking work. And I know there's still some guys that do it in a similar way. Mm. I think Mitch Murder still uses like tracker software to type in note by note sort of thing, which is pretty insane. I mean, do you think there's a do you think there's a much of a market for synthwave outside of the people that are creating it? And, w- and why is that? That it's sort of just self sustaining and people within the scene listening and creating. I don't fault that the audience is also the consumer in this case because that seems to be the case with a lot of artistic things now, especially with the uh, with the internet. For example, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, uh, like comedy podcasts and things like that. And what I've noticed is anytime I hear anyone who say say it's a comedy podcast and they have a place where people can write in questions or fans of the show, it oftentimes turns out that the fans of the show are either comedians or have a podcast of their own. Yeah. And so it's not unusual that in the synthwave scene, a lot of the people who are listening, I mean, who listen to my show, I, I bet you it's like 90% synthwave musicians. And I've been trying to crack this code for like years of breaking out of that. Not because it not, it's not a bad thing. It's just I want to expand the audience because I think the music's generally very good. Yeah, And I know there's an audience out there, and the trick is trying to figure out how to reach them, because I know there's this huge video game audience, there's these people who listen to video game soundtracks and stuff like that, and I know I did that before I discovered Synthwave. So I know that there's a huge audience there who would love some of this music. I know the people who love 80s music would love things like fucking Le Cassette. If they just heard it, like they would just be, it would just be to them like a lost 80s you know, album they never heard of. But the trick is getting them to listen to it because sometimes a lot of people like music simply because it is music that they know. And that's the weirdest thing to me because I'm not that way, but I know that that is a way to be. Like, my wife is that way. Like, you know, she'll listen to, like, some old 80s songs. And if I played her, like, a synthwave track that literally sounds exactly like, you know, an 80s song that she likes, she won't respond the same way because it's just not that song. You know, it's not the stuff that she heard when she was young. For me, I just like cool music. So when I hear new stuff, and that's what Synthwave is all about. It's about delivering nostalgia and new at the same time. Yeah. And that's why I like it, because in all of the the things that I like, video games or whatever, I'm the kind of guy who I like HD remakes of games. I like that it's like it's giving me that old game, but with a new coat of paint that allows me to play it on an HD TV, but still experience the same thing. And synthwave is that in musical form it's basically like here is something that feels like something you know but it's brand new 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the trick is trying to convince people of that because I try and do that all the time and I find that it's tricky. People aren't always as receptive. Uh, you would think if I go on Twitter and say, hey, Lucasette's on the show and you could post like a Lucasette track and then, you know, try and tag like Depeche Mode fans or, you know, whatever yeah. uh, into it. You'd think, oh, a, a Depeche Mode fan, they were, they're bound to love this. Like they have to. Scientifically in my head, I'm thinking like they have to make this connection and they don't necessarily. So I think that it's going to take some sort of big breakthrough thing. I mean, the only thing I've noticed right now is there there is a contingency of metal fans. Absolutely. That that are embracing the dark synth stuff. So when I went to the Carpenter Brute show and the Dance with the Dead show that happened in Toronto, um, it is like a metal crowd with a few nerds. Do you think some of that's to do with the visuals that the the sort of darker, heavier guys are using? Because a lot of their visuals yes. look like metal albums anyway. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's visual signifiers that people that like that sort of music can go, do you know what, that looks like something I'm going to like. Yes, because if you look back at, say, Perturbator's first album, now he's doing harder stuff now. Yeah. But the first album isn't that hard. No. But it's got that album, you know, it's got the cover that looks like a metal album. And I think that the image is really, it's a huge part of it, especially if you you sound like somebody else. You know, if it's a synthwave sound that sounds like somebody else, then what do you have to distinguish yourself but the the album art? And, and to me, the album art does fuel what you think of the the music so like if the the album cover is space and there's a rocket ship on there and it could be the same exact synthwave music as somebody else who's got a picture of you know like a miami beach and a testarossa or whatever and you are going to feel slightly differently about those two things if you have the the benefit of being able to see the the imagery before you listen to it all right guys this conversation with sj bravo is great this is the greatest conversation you've ever heard. <laughs> ah, let's listen to some more music. Uh, here's a track by Triptodon. Triptodon makes some cool shit. This was from his album Boulevard of Corruption. And this track is called 666th Street.
that was 666th Street by Triptodon from the Boulevard of Corruption album. Go check that out. And now, let us go to my conversation, my continuing conversation with SJ Bravo. The way that I sort of came to the came to the scene is through enjoying 80s music and thinking at, at some point, you know, there's not going to be any more 80s music legitimate 80s music created so what's out there that is closest to that you know and then sort of stumbled across some of the some of the earlier synthwave stuff so i was already doing sort of 80s past-ish uh pop music mm-hmm. and i think something that, that seems to link together people that do enjoy the music is that they are all very dedicated and interested in music in general and in the scene and i think it's that sort of crate digger mentality discovering something new maybe sometimes that other people haven't found you know mm-hmm. searching it, this you know the recommended videos on youtube just clicking through those and you know i know a lot of people that listen to this sort of music do that to find the next hit the next track the next new thing sure i think that's why there's a the rate of production in in music in this scene is is huge there's new tracks all the time from loads of different artists mm-hmm. and i think that's perhaps why is that the people that are into it are, are relatively insatiable for it whereas a more casual music fan is happy with their one album a year that they like or whatever you yeah know? yeah i think it's i think it's something to do with that to be honest with you and i think that's why it's kind of hard to get people really who aren't natural seekers of new music it's really hard to get them involved in a genre that they've not heard they're not seen on radio mm. and i think perhaps the only way to do it and something i was going to ask you about is by these sort of every so often pop culture references that occur and people look into that a bit more. So, I mean, the classic example is obviously the Drive soundtrack, but I think there are further examples, games, Hotline Miami, things like that. I think those are the few opportunities that we have to get people brought into the scene that aren't ordinarily looking out for new music, if that makes sense. Although there will be a mainstream thing that is that encompasses this whole synthwave idea but you know retro stuff but new yeah so like stranger things for example absolutely and stranger things is this huge cultural phenomenon right everybody knows about stranger things everybody's seen it but i don't know if any artists are really seeing any traffic to their music because of no. stranger things i mean i would make that connection because when i found the synthwave scene once I discovered it, then it was like, you know, it's a can of worms that opened up because that That's it. the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because this was this was the genre I was waiting for because I always liked electronic music and then I felt sort of like let down in the 90s and the 2000s and stuff because that's when I I mean I listened to industrial music in the 90s and I still like some of it I mean like Nine Inch Nails and stuff like I dig that shit but that was essentially where I I that was the cooler electronic music that was there at the time the dance music became very tinny yeah and like I mean we had a, I remember I mean, we're in Canada, so I remember, like, uh, Much Music, our, our uh, music station put out these CDs called Dance Mix, and it was, like, Dance Mix 96 and Dance Mix 97 and stuff. And it was like, you know, I would listen to that stuff, but when I look, look back on it now, it feels so cheap. Like, just, it, you know, the 80s just had so much, like, the sounds were fatter. Yeah. You know, like, these big, fat synth chords and, like, these bass lines. When you think of, like, the fucking, um, you know, the Beverly Hills Cop theme, like, the Axel F... 
Yeah. Just to, to fucking beep, 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 beep. And it's, it's just so fat sounding. So when I discovered Synthwave, I was actually looking for video game music. Like, that's what I was searching for. I was like, uh, what are the best video game soundtracks of 2012 and 2013? I think that's like what I was typing in at the time. Yeah. Got Hotline Miami. Listened to it and was kind of like, okay, this is okay. But the Perturbator track really stuck out to me. Exactly. To the point where I was like, wait a second, like, this is pretty fucking cool. Like, what is this? And then that's when I discovered Bandcamp and discovered everything else because I didn't know Bandcamp existed. I naively thought that if you have music on a video game soundtrack that you are some popular recording artist. So it opened up the whole world of, like, this indie electronic scene because I didn't even think about it. I, to me, it was like, you know, the, the fact that when I started looking for Perturbator and couldn't find it right away, like, I think at that time I was still torrenting music. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to type in Perturbator into, you know, the torrent and get his albums. And then when I couldn't find anything, I was like, that's odd. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what's this about? To, to discover that he's just some dude. You know, like there is no record label or whatever. Like, I mean, there is now, but, you know, like, then. So that opened up a whole thing. And... I am the kind of person who does that, though. I'm the kind of person who will search if I see a movie and the music stands out to me. And I see so many people who tweet about these things in in the pop culture that are 80s inspired, but no one's really, you know, doing the research. You know, if they if they listen to, um, you know, like Uptown Funk, you know, the Uptown Funk song with the... Uh, yeah. What's the fuck's his name? God damn it. Bruno Mars. Bruno Mars. And, and yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Everyone looks at that song and I, I mean, I'm Guaranteed, they pretty much just see it as, oh, that's the Bruno Mars track. He's got that 80s influence. No one's do searching fucking Mark Ronson, even though he's the guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, that's. I mean, he's a, he's a good example, Bruno Mars, because a lot of what he does is, is an imitation of previous styles. You know, mm-hmm. he's done the 24 Carrot Magic quite recently. I don't know if you heard that one with all yes. the talk box. He's got loads of talk box vehicles. It's Roger and Zap, basically. That's mm-hmm. what it is. And there's no one, there's no one out there going, Oh, okay, so obviously we've got this revival of, of that Roger and Zap electro-funk sound, you know. There's sort of no reference to it. It's just like Bruno Mars has invented that, and that's, you know, something he's going to do for a track, and then he'll move on to the next style. And that, that always amazes me. Yeah, and even when I see people reference it, there's no... I, I don't get the sense that there's a need to dig further, even if they really like it. Yeah. So, like, whenever I catch, like, I hate watching stupid TV, but whenever I catch it in one of those morning shows or whatever and people are all chatting, you know, you'll see them say things like, oh, I love that track, I love the 80s, and then they'll make, like, a joke about the 80s, and that's it. So to them, you know, like, when someone, you know, or, like, Katy Perry or any, like, you know, artist now has an 80s-style song, which they all do. Like, every pop act now has that song that kind of has that yeah. 80s vibe to it. You know, it, all, all it gets from people is, like, oh, that's quaint. That's, like, kind of like the 80s. But they don't they don't go, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool to hear more stuff like this? They just accept that, like, hey, that was that one Justin Bieber track that kind of sounds 80s, and then they move on. The more mainstream examples of 80s influences is... I, mean, I, I look at some of the synthwave stuff and I think that the way that people are displaying their influences is really on the nose and, and kind of obvious and kind of um, cliche in a way and you did a bit actually with Sunglasses Kid on one of your podcasts where you where he was like making up a like a fake name for a synthwave artist calling it like Miami, Miami Flash or whatever something yeah, like yeah. that yeah which I stole because I eventually stole it because I did a song as Neon Nightman because that was where we landed. There you go. And right. so I, I so I made a Neon Nightman song. We had like Miami Flashbulb, and when we when we did that bit, I remember thinking, 
we're going to get in trouble here because as a joke, we're just going to stumble on a bunch of real ones. And that's why when he that's said it. when he said Miami flash bulb, yeah. to me it was like saying bulb is key there. Stretching it out. Because unless you, you know, because you're going to run into that problem where you're going to make a joke and you're, so that's why when I make that joke now, I make it, I have to do super over the top because if I just say anything like just, oh, fucking Nitro 86, well, that's going to be a guy. Cool. So you have to say, you have to, the last one I came up was Laser Trousers 84. Exactly. No one's got trousers. But now someone's going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. There's Laser something 84. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, of course there is. But in the scene, that's pretty on the nose already. But whenever you see a mainstream example of it, maybe like the, the Katy Perry that you're talking about, it's always even more obvious. You know, everyone's wearing neon leg warmers and um, doing exercise videos and shit like that and it's mm. it's almost like maybe the references in Synthwave are, are obvious to people that are interested in it people that take a particular interest in 80s culture but for something to be deemed as 80s in popular culture it has to be really really obvious you know yeah like smack you around the face with this is this is really 80s by the way guys look yeah. <laughs> uh, it's sunny everyone's roller skating uh, you know, by the beach. Otherwise, people don't get it. You know, I hear things and I think, that's pretty 80s sounding. But because it's not been put up there in massive lights, people aren't seeing it as that, if that makes sense. This conversation with SJ Bravo is a lot of fun. I figure we should probably have some context for who SJ Bravo is. So let's listen to the track he did with Sunglasses Kid because I really dug this one. So here's a track. It's from Sunglasses Kid's album Graduation. And this is Runaway featuring SJ Bravo.
Runaway featuring S.J. Bravo off Sunglasses Kid's album Graduation. Uh, it's by Sunglasses Kid featuring S.J. Bravo. And now let's go back to my conversation with S.J. Bravo where he is interviewing me about some stuff. And I think we are coming back to this conversation and I'm talking about how artists cope with being forced to, uh, to change their sound after it had been like copied by others. Who I feel bad for is the artists who did it first. Yeah. Because now it becomes like this kind of cliche. Like for like I feel there must be this weird weight of pressure on, say, an artist like uh, Miami Nights nineteen eighty four. Cause he's one of the first guys in the scene, you know, back with Laserhawk. I mean, this is before Drive, where, you know, obviously like ninety percent of the synth waivers now. Uh, were you know the genesis of them was drive yeah but there were artists before there was these masters of the universe compilations and they were doing kind of more outrun style stuff but you know like laserhawks first album predates uh, you know drive and and miami nights and stuff and miami nights 1984 right so he came up with that and now you know probably like one-fifths of the synthwave band names end with an 80 something yeah and they're doing music that's kind of you know if you go back and listen to some of the older stuff now it sounds like oh that's you know that's generic synthwave but then i feel bad because i'm like no no no, these guys these are the ones who did it first <laughs> and now everyone's sort of aping that style and now i'm like it's it's sort of like unfair to them because it's like well, where do they go so what i like is with laserhawk for example he does a different he kind of changes his style with every album he releases. Absolutely, yeah. And it's and I love it. And even though I'll see people complain or whatever, just like, oh, this one's not as good as that one, or the, the new perturbator is not whatever. Like uh, as people do when they're nerds and in some group. To me, it's it's great when the sound changes because it's like, yeah, like that's what they got to do. You got to you know. Th- that being said, sometimes there's some artists that just have a sound, and I love their sound, and they could literally keep putting out albums. <laughs> year after year that sounds kind of the same and I'm still going to like it if I dig the sound. Sure. If they establish their corner and that's what they do, then it's fine. But then if too many other artists start like stealing that style, then it's like, yeah, you. I, I don't know. For, for me, I just feel bad for them. Absolutely. I know it's a weird thing to say. Like, I feel like, you know, someone else steals your style and now you are required to change or else you are deemed stale or uh, derivative of this style now and it's sort of like unfair because it's like because your music was so good other people ripped it off and now you are required to change like it's just it's weird yeah I mean it's, it's interesting that you've got that perspective from having listened f- for quite a while I mean I think some of the key influences on the scene often haven't really integrated or communicated with the scene that much at all you know we talked about the drive soundtrack you know guys like college a lot of his music sounds like he's just ignoring what everybody else is doing mm-hmm. and just plowing on with his own thing i think the same of a, a, a guy like mitch murder you know he's got sort of uh, recently been doing kind of it's kind of like hold music or lift music or something like that you know i listen to that and i think it's Pretty soon, I reckon other people are going to start doing this as well, you know. Yeah. So I think it's at any point you can see things that have been going on for for a, a while, 
and therefore have a number of I don't want to insult anybody but pay a limitations sure and then you have stuff that's that's quite new and you can sort of think you know maybe maybe that's the next thing people are going to latch on to and do you know and, and, and sort of go down that route it's interesting to know whether the scene's going to going to stay with the same sound I don't want to say kind of get stale because I could probably listen to that style forever it, it's interesting to see where it's going to go the thing is when you have a scene right and it's relatively small a lot of it, there, there's a lot of thought that happens I mean this is a lot of mm. nerds let's face it who, who are part of this scene I'm one of them you know so there's a lot of analysis that's going on maybe like too mm. much for what it is because to me I literally just like music if you ever listen to my podcast there's very little talk about music in it yeah. like to me I just I just love the music and and I like talking with like-minded people. I found in my life that I really get along with people, creative people, and specifically creative people who like to make music. Yeah. Which is weird because I'm not really a musician. Like, I've made a few joke songs. And actually, like, it's, I don't know, like, for like 15 years, I like, I've I've made music ever since, like, Fruity Loops 1. But it's been so weird. It's like weird electronic music that is genreless, and I, I'm embarrassed by it. But it is something that sometimes when I need to relax, I'll just, like, pop on and, like, make a track. And Synthwave is sort of the music I wish I could make <laughs> like when I listen to it I'm just like why can't I fucking do that and whenever I'm I'm at the keyboard trying to make music I just make this weird I don't know what it is but I've always found that I just get along with musicians. But when we talk, I don't necessarily feel the need to talk about music. I just want to talk. You know, I just have a conversation. The great part about the synthwave scene is it's sort of the scene where I finally found uh, my scene, essentially. Yeah. Because like I said before, you know, like I'm, I'm a Doctor Who fan. So I tried going to some fucking Doctor Who meetings like late in life I'm 35 now so it was like maybe like two or three years ago I was like uh, maybe I'll go to one of those things you know where people talk about Doctor Who or whatever and then I get there and then I realized you know after going there for a while I'm just like man like I love Doctor Who but not the same way you guys do yeah and it was weird because i didn't feel like i didn't feel while i was there like these are my people right you know like how some nerds they find their scene and like these are my people i love playing mist or uh, not mist a fucking magic you know i love magic and you get together with a bunch of other nerds and you play magic and it's like that's we found each other you know that's our deal and i didn't feel that way you know, when I was with these other fans of the show, that my favorite thing, like I've got thousands of dollars worth of fucking DVDs. Like I am a nerd for this show. But yet when I was with other ones, I realized, I don't know if there was something more surface level about my fandom, but I just really liked the show. You know, those are the conversations I'd like to have. It's just like, hey, remember that part? That was cool. Instead of like people reading off these fucking spreadsheet lists of who the second unit director was of some episode yeah. in like 1967. I'm just like, who gives a fuck? Like, let's just talk about the show. Like, what's this nonsense? And Synthwave, to me, this scene is the perfect blend of like, since it's not one specific thing, it's about a time. It's like, yeah. it's, a, it's a scene based around nostalgia for a weird window of time that's not so specific. <laughs> that's sort of like anything from like mid to late 70s to the 90s, you know, like it's all over the place. And so a lot of people there are similar age, which is a helpful thing for, um, you know, having reference points. Like when anyone makes a joke about a movie or quotes a movie, we all know the reference because it's all from our collective, you know, childhoods or teenage years. Um, since everyone's a musician, I think there's that tendency to lean similarly on the political spectrum. Like I'm not a political guy, but it just seems, you know, like, 
musicians tend to be more kind of liberal, kind of progressive people, uh, artistic people. That's that's a trait of artistic people. Absolutely, yeah. There's a general kind of understanding. I mean, not everybody fits into that box, but essentially, like, you know, you might disagree with someone politically, but you still have the same favorite movies. Or, you know, there's going to be some, There's you're going to meet somewhere, which is why I like the scene so much, because it's a place where you can go where, although it's got this framework that it's based around this music, essentially you can have a conversation about anything and you're probably going to find common ground with the person you're chatting with. So that's essentially why I like it. Yeah, this uh, conversation with SJ Bravo sure reminds me of that time I chatted with SJ Bravo about six months ago. And now I guess you're, uh, you're listening to it, and I hope you guys are enjoying the show. So let's listen to some music. This is a track by Vincenzo Salvia featuring Death Wish. And this track is called Panorama.
And that was Panorama by Vincenzo Salvia featuring Death Wish. And that's a cool one. Go check it out. Remember, you can check out all the music that I play on this show on the SoundCloud page. When you go to Beyond Synth on SoundCloud, check the More Info section of the track, and you'll see a big list of all the links you're going to need to listen to the artists you hear on the show. And now let's go back to SJ Bravo interviewing me, and I think we're talking about why we uh, connect with people in the synthwave scene. It's weird, isn't it, how someone might like one you you know someone that likes one thing similar to yourself like synthwave and then it turns out that actually they probably share a number of other interests maybe it's the association with the music and visuals but it seems like if anyone likes synth music like heavy synth like heavily synthesized music mm-hmm. quite often they they like some form of sci-fi as well yes whether that's doctor who you know, I'm big into Star Trek. You know, this conversation is over. Let's do it, man. Uh, yeah, sign out. Um, yeah, no, I, I think though too, it's just because it, it's it's our age, it's the reference points. I mean, you know, that's not to say that everybody's in their thirty. I mean, like Perturbator when he was making his music. I mean, he's like in his early twenties. You know, so. Mm. But still had this idea of this nostalgia for 80s stuff. So, yeah, but people are going to have those references. And, of course, there was less things, you know, when we were younger. I mean, when you when you think of, like, the pool of people's favorite movies yeah. from their childhood and favorite video games. You know, I love GoldenEye. It's, like, one of my favorite things. And, you know, the fact was, like, in 1997, when GoldenEye came out, it was, like, the four-player game you played at someone's house everyone played it yeah it was the game right now you know in the same month you'll have like five simultaneous releases of you know triple a first person shooters and so the the landscape is a little more like splintered that way you know in the same month you'll have the new call of duty the new battlefield you know a halo will come out or a gears of war or something every console has its own exclusive that people are playing and then you've got the people who hate call of duty and the people who always play call of duty and and so there's not that same sense of like the game anymore but it does happen which is why and i i love those those titles that really bring people together yeah so grand theft auto why it's such an important franchise it's not just because those games are amazing but whenever they come out everybody seems to drop everything they're doing and at least for that week everyone is playing the new grand theft auto game yeah, and so there's this there's this little community that happens. I mean, it, I guess it only happens every four years when a new Grand Theft Auto comes out. But it really is like you know, if you have like a PlayStation or an Xbox, and you've got your friends list on there, you will. Just, it, <laughs> when Grand Theft Auto comes out, it's just this giant list, and everyone is all playing the same game. And uh, I love that. Like, I think that's a cool thing. And there aren't too many franchises like that anymore. I don't think there is. No. I think Grand Theft Auto might be the only one. Call of Duty used to be, but now I think there seems to finally be some resistance to that franchise over the last few years. And I think really it's like Grand Theft Auto is like the... That's the big one. That's the, yeah. I think part of it is the simplicity of Grand Theft Auto. You know, it, there's a lot to do in a game, but at, at its core it's a, it's a relatively simple experience that you can sort of pick up Mm-hmm. do 15 minutes and put it back down yes whereas a lot of games you know Call of Duty that's quite a high bar of entry to get to a point where you can play with people online you've got to put hours and hours and hours into that thing to get the reflexes yeah which is why to this day I will still play GoldenEye with my friends like if I have friends over go. I bought a computer specifically for GoldenEye emulation 
because th- that's how important that game is to me. I've literally like made contact with the people who mod that game and put out these mods online just because I love it so much. I'm I'm literally going to try and contact the dude to see if he can put my face in there. I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to find <laughs> it because I've analyzed it too for years, decades, like decades now because it was. <laughs> 1997 that I'm always I've always wondered you know like what is it about this game why do I like this game so much because I'm not I'm not a fool if something better came along that delivered that same experience I would have moved to it so Perfect Dark came out and that was like the same game engine so I played Perfect Dark and I acknowledged that hey you know this is GoldenEye but it's got uh, more options and blah 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 and then since that game there's not been a game that scratched that same itch and I've if I get a ton of money, I will start a video game company to make like the proper follow. Basically, you you brought it up. I mean, it's that barrier to entry. Yeah. You know, Call of Duty, Battlefield, all these games, they're hardcore. They're not they don't have the same pick up and play value that Goldeneye had. And that's what I miss is like a game that you can because now, you know, when you play party games, quote unquote party games, there is uh, like a style accompanying it, right? Like if you play a party game, yeah. it's a it's a cartoon game. You know, it's like cart, you know, it's like you're playing with Mario or it's on, on a Nintendo console or something and there's something more cartoony and childish about it. Not to say it's not a good game, but that's the aesthetic. And I miss the idea of like a party game that's for adults. That's like, it's like it's mature. It's like it's violence, but at the same time, it still has a simple pick up and play value that anyone can sort of have fun with. And uh, that's missing from pretty much every multiplayer game now they're all like you go online and you get destroyed and that's like a thing people accept yeah it's like yeah you you know if you play fucking call of duty you just accept the fact that for the next two weeks you're just gonna die constantly until you like have the maps memorized i'm like that's not fun how's that fun anyway sorry it's it's, i mean (laughs) i i tried to play a while back i tried to play uh one of the left for dead games you know the zombie Mm -hmm. shooters and you you join an online crew that's going around and and shooting zombies Mm. And I just kept getting kicked out of the game by people that were like, oh, you fucking hell, you're doing the wrong thing. Don't don't shoot the witch, you know, because I've shot what looks like a zombie. Mm-hmm. And they'll kick you out and they'll call you all sorts of names and they'll they'll really go pretty hard on you. Yeah. Just like, you know, how am I ever going to get to a stage where, given the limited time that I have to play a game, I don't want to relax to play a game. Yeah. How am I ever going to get to the stage where I can play this game and not have people just abuse me and then, like... <laughs> kick me out of the game the game closes down I just couldn't believe it but I think the key thing to take from this discussion is that basically we're we're, we're pretty much stuck in the past on, on, on most forms of media here I mean you're, <laughs> you're going is, my Super Mario Kart I think right but the difference is because Super Mario Kart's also a great game oh yeah and the thing is okay it's tricky to say because I am completely self-aware that I'm a very nostalgic guy yeah I am self-aware. I know that. I know that some of the things I like are probably because I liked them as a kid. Because anytime I watch an 80s movie I didn't watch when I was young, I'm, I very clearly see the flaws. So I've got friends mm. who really like The Goonies, for example. I only saw The Goonies for the first time like five or six years ago, and I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like, this movie's terrible. Like, I mean, I, I didn't like it at all. Like, I was just like, this is a, this to me seems like a bad film. Yeah. But I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what's an example of a movie I think that I like that is bad, but that I like it? Ah, that's a tricky one. All right, this conversation is fantastic. I'm having it with SJ Bravo, and you guys are listening. And he is interviewing me for some sort of project. Now, this is sort of a cliffhanger, except I don't ever come up with an example. So I know it sounded like I was about to come up with an example, and I'm cutting myself off. 
but really, I don't actually ever come up with one. So don't expect one after we listen to a song. Just forget what I was saying. In fact, in most cases when you listen to this show, forget what I was saying. It, it makes it a whole lot better for you and for me because oftentimes I forget what I'm saying, which is why I end up repeating myself all the time. Let's listen to another song. This track is by, I think it's Zaber, but it's all with like numbers and stuff. So I think it's pronounced Zaber, like Saber or like, you know, anyway, because it's Z6B3R. Zaber. Anyway, uh, this is from the album Legion 63, and this track is 2020.
that was 2020 by Zaber, Z6B3R, off the album Legion 63. And now, let's go uh, back to my conversation with SJ Bravo as he interviews me, and we return to discuss nostalgia, which quickly and unsurprisingly uh, turns into me talking about Goldeneye. But the point is, there is a value here beyond simple nostalgia. So when I talk about Goldeneye and that party game aesthetic, that party game vibe, that is a thing that's unique to that game. Like, like first-person shooters went in a different direction, and even though they look better, sound better, play smoother, have smoother frame rates, there's all this stuff. There is some stuff that's lost over these generations. Mm. I don't think it's just 100% better now for those certain things. Take Mario Kart is a great example. Mario Kart uh, Super Nintendo 1 and the N64 1, GoldenEye, uh, any games that were on cartridges, they didn't have loading time. No. Now, loading time is a, a way bigger deal than people make it out to be, especially if you're playing like a multiplayer game. When I go back and I play GoldenEye now with friends, there's no sitting around a menu for like two hours while you're waiting for one guy to like adjust his character. In GoldenEye and Perfect Dark, you could do that simultaneously in split screen. All four people could be doing stuff at the same time. Someone could be picking the map. Someone could be uh, picking what they want their character to look like. Some guy could be picking the guns. Like, you don't have to wait for, like, another person. Then when you press start, the game just starts. Mario Kart, same way. You press start, the game starts. That immediacy made for a more fun experience, and that was lost once games all went to CD. And... There's all these people who just were just like, oh, CD is just better, right? The games, you know, they look better and they sound better. I'm like, yeah, but Mortal Kombat, like, I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan. Up until Mortal Kombat X, or Mortal, no, sorry, Mortal Kombat the 2011 one, where they finally got it to a point where it's about maybe, like, 10 seconds of loading for the match. Mm. Up until that point, any fighting game I played, to me, was intolerable. It was like, what the hell is this? Like, these matches are, like two minutes long tops and like sometimes you're waiting for like 30 seconds Mortal Kombat on the on the PlayStation I remember Mortal Kombat 3 and yeah it sounded better like the sound was crisper than the Super Nintendo one but the Super Nintendo one was a better experience because you press start and you were in the match and then the, the PlayStation when you're sitting there staring at a screen you couldn't even use Shang Tsung properly because he morphed into different characters that was his whole thing he's he morphs but in the PlayStation 1, morphing required loading of a new character. So you had to either pick the characters you wanted to morph in at the top of the match. You'd be like, I, I choose to morph into these three players over the match, or not at all. That, to me, was a downgrade. That's not an upgrade. Yeah, like, that's a yeah. downgrade. And, and first-person shooters today, yeah, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff. They're doing a lot of cool things. But half the time, if you're playing online Call of Duty, you're in a fucking menu. Like, that's the game. The game is a menu, for all I'm concerned. It's a menu when you're picking out your loadouts of your weapons, and you're sitting there looking at a grid going, like, do I want two more points on range if I sacrifice one point on accuracy? Like, how is that fun? It's not fun. It's a spreadsheet. That's insane, isn't that? Yeah. And then you're waiting for one minute of just seeing a still picture of a boat with, like, dumb tips at the bottom of the screen going, like, did you know that if you pull the trigger, your gun shoots? I'm like, thanks, tips. I mean, most games now are just literally load screen that give you advice on how to play the game and then when you finally do you get fucking killed constantly and then you gotta ask yourself what is more fun is it more fun to look at this pause picture or <laughs> to fucking get shot in the back for 10 minutes I mean it's what I'm saying about simplicity I guess that taking Super Mario Kart you, you bang it in load it up about 5 seconds you can be in a race the only decision to make is is your track and your character and mm. people roughly knew you know everyone knew that uh, Toad and the Koopa Trooper had like 
the, the best acceleration that's about it that's about the yeah. only information that's in there you know mm-hmm. no one knew any of the mechanics under the hood or anything like that if you were really good you knew the shortcuts you know how to use the feather to get over like the ghost wall or whatever that's what brings the strategy when you're limited by these tools there is a creativity and strategy that's born of that and now you know when everyone can come in with such varying loadouts sometimes there's like a resentment of unfairness when like you know you're playing call of duty and you get blown away your first instinct is be like what like what the fuck gun did he have you know and then you're like watching that screen going like Oh, I haven't unlocked that yet or something like so you know you're working towards unlocking things whereas like when you're playing like Mario Kart that's it like it, when someone beats you it's because they're just better than you like that's it there you can't rationalize in your head oh he cheated because he uh, you know he was using this mad no like he wasn't like he there's nothing the same map that's it and with golden eyes the same thing you with the weapons everyone shares the weapons in the map you know like no one's coming in with a custom loadout you've got the same six guns and there's no subsets of those weapons it's not like oh but his his fucking pp7 pistol had like an extra accuracy bonus because it would no like it's the same fucking gun same map so part of that i think you know like any great game you know chess or something you know right like you've you got the same pieces and the whole strategy of the game is just being better than the other person and practicing or whatever and i feel like with video games and especially the new ones there is all these variables that prevent that from totally always feeling like a completely fair uh scenario and of course time right because i'm older now so i don't have 12 hours a day so part of it too is and i will admit this my time for sinking 12 hours a day into a game is done my time was high school and that's when i played perfect dark and goldeneye so maybe if I was high school age now, that would be Battlefield. Yeah. You know, I would be playing Battlefield 12 hours a day and be very good at it. But I don't have that time anymore. And I don't think I should have to invest that time to simply enjoy something. You know, especially when there's games out there that are going to give you that enjoyment instantly. Exactly. And you were talking about cartridges earlier. And I would have thought that the, the aim would be to speed up accessing games, etc. But you could turn a, a PlayStation 4 on now. I was going to take you a while to get through, log on your account, get through the menu, load the game up, go through maybe the intro trailer and all of that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And then when you want to turn it off, you've got to turn it off like a minute before you turn your, your plugs off at the wall and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, the Super Nintendo or Genesis, you just turn it off at the wall. And it's not going to make any difference, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the way I feel about it as well. Is like, I feel some people just feel like everything is just a complete advancement. You know, it's a, it's everything yeah. is 100% better. And to me, I'm like, no, it's not 100% better. Like, definitely some things are amazing. You know, when I first played Elder Scrolls, like, I think I, I played Oblivion. And when I played it for the first time, it blew my mind. Yeah. Like, there's been a few games over the years that have blown my mind. Grand Theft Auto 3 blew my mind. Mario 64 blew my mind. Elder Scrolls uh, Oblivion blew my mind. Because when I played them for the first time, I was like, shit, like, I've been waiting for this. Like, this is a game I've been waiting for all my life. So it happens. Like, you know, there is definitely, like, advantages to just simply just the technology being more powerful. But then load times, you know, cartridges, the the um, durability oh, yeah. of the fact that they were just hunks of plastic. Because there was a period there when it was all disc-based. I mean, we still have discs, but, you know, they scratched so we Like, they were so easily damaged discs. And that would always be a problem, too, and a really annoying one when your game would load up and, like, things would skip or there'd be errors because there was, like, a scratch on the disc or something. You had to be so delicate with them, and that was a change. It's, it's difficult, right? I just think that things aren't 
always a hundred percent better. And I wish I wish load time was was the main thing that people were working on. Was just like you know what games look pretty good now. Yeah. Okay. Let's instead of every generation, it's just like now you have like ten million more polygons. How about this generation looks the same as last generation, but everything just runs super fast. That's the focus, but it's never going to be Absolutely. that way. I don't know if you can really sell people on that. I feel like Nintendo sometimes try and do that. You know, don't necessarily push. To the next frontier of like technological advancement in terms of uh, visuals or, or audio or whatever but they just try and concentrate on the games a little more this conversation with sj bravo where he's interviewing me is i'm gonna say one for the ages but you might have a different opinion maybe like one you don't like or uh... <laughs> i'm just kidding you love this show did you know that behind every episode of Beyond Synth, I generate a high-pitched hum that goes directly into your brain that makes you like what's going on? I mean, think about it. It doesn't make any sense. Think about what we're talking about, and you're listening. You're the fool. <laughs> not me, not the guy that fucking spends like 20 hours a week editing the damn thing. Uh, listen, we're going to listen to another track now by Hubrid off the album The Dark Synth. And uh, like I said, yeah, it's a lot of fucking uh, the heavier stuff uh, later in the show today. But, you know, Halloween's coming up. And in Halloween time, you dress as a skeleton. So here's a track by Hubrid. This is Fusion featuring Volta and Dimmy K.
And that was Fusion by Hubrid, featuring Volta and Demi Kay off the album The Dark Synth. And now we're going to go back to SJ Bravo interviewing me. We're back from our video game conversation, but it morphs quickly to movie talk and chatting about Drive. So you've never heard us talk about Drive before on this show, so get a load of something new. You know, while we're on the topic of games, just a real a real quick one, because it's something that I'm surprised I've never heard. Have you ever had any guests on that have cited Vice City as an influence on their music, as in the Grand Theft Auto game? No. I'm surprised. I'm quite surprised by yeah, that. Yeah, the main influence is Drive, the movie Drive. Absolutely. That's the one I've heard the most. Sometimes it's other artists, because obviously I've been doing the show for like a little over four years now, so, mm. you know, other artists is a big one. Like someone will, will say, uh, I listened to your Droid Bishop on your show, and then I started making music or something. You know, they'll, yeah. th- that'll be a thing. But I think Drive is the big one. Then oftentimes people will just say vagaries, you know, like just like, oh, I just love the 80s. Yeah. You know, a few people will cite Vangelis or you know Yan Hammer or something but a lot of times they don't even use those names they just sort of say the 80s but yeah definitely Drive Drive is the biggest one that's everyone I'm gonna say 30% of all the shows I've ever done someone says they have to they have to call out Drive as being a thing that's mad isn't it considering that the soundtrack isn't really that 80s no like you know there's there's a few tracks on the on the soundtrack the score isn't very 80s necessarily and really the visuals it's pretty much just because it plays that Kavinsky song and the word Drive is written in that yeah the neon pink squirrel fun that's it but mind you when I first saw Drive before I knew about this scene I saw it you know because I kept hearing people say the score was cool. So I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll watch Drive. And definitely when I watched Drive, it did give me that 80s vibe. But I think it was purely because of the Kavinsky song, the pink writing, and then that real hero song when he's driving in the canyon. And the yeah. the, the cheesiness, the almost like the audacity to play such a cheesy song in like a Hollywood movie. Like at that moment, like it just felt like those days were done. Like the idea that you could just play a song like that during this moment. Because it was, it was almost wearing the cheesiness on its sleeve to such a point that it really that that really conjured the 80s that moment yeah because like oh wow like they're really just full-on not afraid to be super cheesy right now and that was refreshing that moment's a real sort of uh don't you forget about me sort of moment isn't it you know a song that sort of overtakes the scene you know yeah more about the song than the visuals at that point i agree with you the soundtrack is not it's not hugely representative of of synthwave at all there's there's a couple of tracks on there that fit within the style, but the soundtrack as a whole doesn't really, and even some of the more well-known stuff, the chromatic stuff, doesn't really fit into what we currently hear in terms of the genre. <clears throat> For me, it, it's it's kind of weird because I didn't see Drive until I was knee-deep within within listening to the synthwave stuff. I guess that's because of the influence I already had. Mm. But coming, you know, seeing it, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was great, but... I didn't get the same sort of thrill that I feel a lot of people got. And I feel like if it's your first introduction to mm-hmm. that sound, then maybe it's more impactful than if you see it or hear the music from it further down the line. Considering so many people have used it as an influence, maybe there is a, an expectation as to what it is. Yeah. So since I didn't have that going in, all I ever heard was, because I, I heard it on other shows, like movie podcasts and stuff, who would say yeah. like, oh, you should check out Drive. It's got kind of a cool score. And that was it. Like, that was all that was said. And that's the, that's the same with all, a lot of my favorite movies. I mean, I've said this millions of times, but like Blade Runner, when I, when I went in to see Blade Runner, it was in the 90s, like when I was... Um, 
you know, in, in, in the height of my movie nerd time of my life, I saw the director's cut first. And the only thing that I got told before I watched it was my older brother saying, like, yeah, Blade Runner's cool. Like, that was it. No one gave away the story. Nobody said what the vibe of this film was. It was just Blade Runner's cool. The same with Scarface. I didn't even know what the fuck Scarface was. Like, that wasn't at a time where, like, there were Scarface references everywhere and people quoting it all the time. I didn't know anything. All I knew was just, like, it's a movie that people seem to know. And that Al Pacino's got a scar on his face. So when I saw that movie, that blew my mind. I was just like, holy shit, like, this movie's amazing. Like, you know, 2001, that's not an 80s film, but, you know, like, I didn't know any of the jokes. I didn't see over-reference the Star Child or any of that stuff. So when I saw 2001 for the first time, it was literally because my history teacher was showing us the Dawn of Man sequence. With the, with the monkeys at the start of the movie. Yeah. And I thought, this movie kind of looks interesting. I'll check it out. I didn't even knew that, know there was anything to do with, like, fucking spaceships or anything. Like, I, I just knew that there was this monkey scene in some weird obelisk. All right, this is me again. We're not going to a song. Uh, I'm interrupting the show to acknowledge that re-listening to this show, it sounds kind of like I said obelisk just now. And I didn't. I said obelisk, but I feel like maybe my nose was stuffed up or something because, like, I know the word is obelisk and I've never said obelisk before. It's even, it's harder to say than obelisk. So I don't know why it sounded like I said obelisk, but the word is obelisk. All right? Go fuck yourself. Here's a, let's rejoin the conversation now. (laughs) An important message from me. Like, I I just knew that there was this monkey scene in some weird obelisk. So when I took that movie home and watched it and got to the end when Buddy's in the fucking, you know, Dave's in the chair with all the laser beams shooting at him, then he turns into a fetus. Like, I was just like, what the fuck did I just see? Like, that was amazing. So sometimes, you know, people's opinions and uh, preconceived notions can really affect when you go into something clean and nobody tells you anything except maybe you just heard that it was kind of good but you don't know why that's the best the interesting thing is nowadays people reference things all the time mm. the pop culture references like a massive thing a lot of it's to do with the internet and you know we've t- been talking about synthwave today that is a, a very referential genre but it doesn't seem like that was always the way that things were you know things are memes and stuff like that i think synthwave is more um like reverential than referential like because it's it's, it's about the love of that time because to me reference based anything pisses me off like to me it's so not funny like it happens a lot in comedy there are so many youtube channels devoted to stuff that's like labeled comedy but then i watch it i'm like well this isn't funny at all like it's just there's this thing i don't know why i resent this so much it's a really popular youtube channel it's called like the hillywood show i think Okay. And it's these girls who just do like these quote unquote parody videos and they're very well produced, like high budget things with like fully costumed and everything. And they're labeled as like comedy. Just watch them. I'm just like, it just looks like sort of like a cosplay musical they're putting on. Yeah. And of course they're getting millions of hits because like, here's us, here's our parody of, of uh, fucking Suicide Squad. And I'm like, well, you can't use the word parody here just because you're dressed up like the characters of Suicide Squad if you're not actually doing anything funny. Like the That's whole, it, yeah. the whole driving force of this is just we're doing a musical in Suicide Squad outfits. There's all, there's a ton of that shit on the web where it's it's just a reference like that's the joke the joke is look at me i'm wearing a darth vader costume and i'm like well if there's nothing funny about this skit 
then it's not a parody and it's not comedy. It's just a guy in a costume. And uh, that stuff really pisses me off because, like, I don't know why it drives me nuts. I It annoys me when people say stuff is funny that isn't funny to me. <laughs> like, I don't know yeah. why. I feel like that's pretty lazy sort of um, attempt at humor. I guess what I was referring to by saying referential is more like a, a good example would be 80 Stallone did that track, Cabretti, and it's got a sample from Cobra at the start that's what I mean that sort of thing really you know sounds that um, reference certain movies or mm-hmm. certain visuals and trying you know as I said earlier trying to evoke certain things you know I think there's a, a thin line between pastiche and parody and I don't think pastiche necessarily has to be a negative connotation you know I think largely a lot of what we do is is pastiche and although many artists probably wouldn't well, appreciate that being said for me i just say embrace it yeah just embrace what they are like everyone's so ready to be offended yeah if somebody doesn't like what they do or says something they don't like and to me i'm just like just fucking if you just embrace what it is like i think some people have a hard time reconciling like maybe this is cheesy music maybe this isn't for everyone but if that's what you make and you're happy with it and there's people who like it then you know who cares i mean if it's good music see that's the thing i know bring it back to sunglasses kid who wrestles with that idea of pastiche versus you know legitimate kind of music to me they're both valid and i don't care i if i like the song and you know i'll use hoo-ha as an example again because he is being tongue-in-cheek and fun but the music's good the vocals are catchy so i don't care if it's a song about fucking lost love or a song about khaki pants if it's a good track and it's fun I don't give a shit. Like, I don't care if the the intention was someone brooding over their keyboard. I would mm. prefer to think that the people are enjoying making the music and, and having fun while they do it. Like, I like the idea that someone's enjoying making their art. Oh, so we're able to do both, you know. Using Highway Superstar as an example, you know, he's it, on his albums, he's got some badass tracks on there, some of the vocal stuff like Hunters or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then... I don't know if you heard the track he did for the uh, Kung Fury soundtrack. That sort of uh, sexy saxophone solo mm-hmm. piece that's on there. And that is real sort of, I'd hesitate to call it parody, but it's a real pastiche and it's, it seems really tongue-in-cheek. So I don't, I don't think the lines have to be clear cut. I don't think it really needs defining, to be honest with you. But you I know? think, too, even the case with Highway Superstar, he also, I think he and Edward are very similar, uh, Sunglasses Absolutely, Kid, yeah. in terms of they're not laughing while they're making their music basically no. you know, like they're sitting there just like and to be fair i'm not either no because i love this cheesiness i mean we go back to drive and you know it, like literally he's driving around and he's their hero and the song is called real hero and his lyrics just saying like you're a real hero whatever like it's so it's so wearing the cheesiness on its sleeve but i mean that's the point it's embracing it it's saying like yeah this is yeah look how boldly we're saying this whereas we know when i talked before about sort of resenting the 90s because that's when you know when grunge came in and it was just like everything was had to be cool or things weren't cool and like cheesy was uncool and you you know there's there's all these rules now to what's cool and not cool and at the end of the day you put on take on me by aha and everyone's happy and that shouldn't be a thing that you should be ashamed of that like there's music that makes you feel good or that's like uplifting or positive or just cool there you go that's a lovely sentiment okay enjoy what you make yeah and I hope you're enjoying this conversation I'm having with SJ Bravo. So let's listen to a track, and you're going to love it, all right? So here is Mega Hit uh, off the album Wrath of the Machine, and this track is called Hull Breach. <laughs> Hull 
And that was Hull Breach by Mega Hit from the album Wrath of the Machine. And that's a mega hit as far as I'm concerned. And uh, now let's go back to my conversation with S.J. Bravo. It's always just been about it, the enjoyment of the music. Yeah. And that's the most important thing to me. I'm not very analytical. I'm not very... I don't care about music theory. I tried to write a review once. I wrote one review one time for Synthetics for Ogre's album. Yeah. Just because, I, I, I mean, I like him a lot. You know, there's a, a handful of artists who I heard first, right? Like, once Perturbator opened the door, you know, Ogre was the next thing. When I heard Sure Thing, the song that is the Beyond Synth theme song, that's one of my favorite songs ever made. Like, I just, I love that fucking song so much. So I, I wanted to write a review for him, and I just realized halfway through, I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, I can't, I, I published it, but like, I... Not you. Yeah. That's not i don't care <laughs> like i just don't care like other people if other artists want to have those conversations amongst themselves of uh, techniques and what it means and all that stuff that's perfectly valid for me i just love people who are creative in that way and i just like to talk to them and, and socialize with them i couldn't care less about analyzing it or using flowery language to describe why i like it i could say the same thing for I've got a playlist of synthwave that's probably like 12 days long and for every track I will listen to I, I will just say that's cool that's a fun track I mean that's all I ever yeah. say on my show when I play a song I'm just like that's a good one like cause that's all I it's a good one man what else do I got to say about it so it speaks for itself I guess to a degree something that's really frustrating is the guilty pleasure term the, the, you know oh it's a bit of a guilty pleasure that frustrates me if I'm honest with you I don't think something should be a guilty pleasure if you if you like something even if it is cheesy it's just a pleasure isn't it rather than a, a guilty pleasure yeah exactly yeah that's a good maybe a good place to to end there possibly that's a you've sort of summed up your, your whole view on that you know <laughs> going pretty deep on things here like go, trying to get trying to get some uh, deep analysis out of you and, mm. and you're right you know if you like it you like it and that's the be all and end all of it it really doesn't need much further explanation than that and i mean Given the fact I'm just doing a massive research project on it right now, I may as well just bin it all off. You know? Yeah, so it's good. I mean, look, the people, the artists who are actually making it, they're probably going to have more intellectual views, especially the actual musicians, because that's the difference. Sure. We, we talked about this before about how you know there's the barrier to entry is less now. You know, you can yeah. you can uh, torrent yourself a fucking rip of Fruity Loops, get yourself a sample library for no money, and you can start making music. You can go on YouTube and watch a tutorial about how to make a bass line and. You you can make a song very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is very different than, you know, if you were actually in the 80s or 90s and literally had to procure yourself equipment and you either had to have, you know, wealthy parents who could afford to get you some instruments you wanted or whatever. You know, there's, there's there was barriers to entry that there aren't now. Absolutely. But yeah. with that being said, there is a clear distinction between people who are musicians and people who aren't. I feel like you can hear it in the music. Like, you just know. Like, when I listen to, like, Sunglasses Kid, like, when I watch those videos where he like you know plays his, his piano yeah which i parodied in the thing but i i took that down but uh you know he knows how to play <laughs> like he like he his oh, fingers yeah, his sure. fingers move correctly like i took piano lessons and i can't even do that i hunt and peck with a fucking keyboard the same way i type so you know there's people who have the talent who or they came from bands before you know a lot of these synth musicians were in like metal bands and stuff weirdly and um they're actual musicians and so they compose songs that are structured like a song as opposed to, you know, someone who's not necessarily a musician. And I can say that I've done this in my past as not a musician, you know, uh, where I would make electronic music that didn't really have the structure of a song. It was just like a build. 
it was like you know you'd go into fruity loops and every eight bars i would just add a new thing Mm. and it would just be like this four minute build to nothing you know <laughs> like just word like because they didn't have the structure and people who understand music and people who are actual musicians can really you know form a proper song and i know it sucks to you know for people who all want to be like anti-establishment and like you know you don't have to follow the rules but yeah there are these sort of inbuilt rules it's same with like storytelling and, and movie terms where sometimes there's just certain things that just hit you in a certain way and it's because of either this embedded like psychology or whatever and for music it's that same thing like you need that lull and then that sort of the pre-chorus that leads into the the verse or whatever and and when you do that right i mean there's a reason why you know all these songs are like three minutes and 30 seconds and like their chorus happens here and this 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 but like maybe it's because we've been trained for that but regardless it still is a a way to make a more satisfying track yeah it's about building motion and the, the funny thing is that a lot of people can recognize that from listening they can go oh you know i like this because it builds up from the verse goes to the chorus and it drops back down but when you actually come to try and create something you know i teach kids 16 plus music technology music production and that sort of thing and invariably when they start off they do exactly what you said build and build and build and build until it sort of goes nowhere you know mm, yeah there's no ups and downs it's kind of like you know it's a cliche but it's kind of like a roller coaster you've got to you've got to drop down to be able to go up again to drop down again to really you know bring people up and down and that's the only way you can really play with people's emotions i mean if you listen to some of the best heavier synthwave tracks it's not full on all the time i mean i was watching the video earlier for turbo killer Mm. that's an amazing video but the reason the track works so well is that at some point it eases off a bit there's a more chilled out bit so that when it comes back in it could just smack you back around the face and it's 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 amazing again whereas if it was full on all the time you just get a bit bored you know just yeah drag and it'd just be three minutes of the same thing over and over again and that's sort of a, a difficult thing to grasp it when you're first creating i think is that up and down you just want everything to be maxed out all the time and full on and in your face and i think that's definitely something you can see in the better composers in the scene is more nuance tiny little things that can make a massive difference also i think this the synthwave version of that uh you know that whole build songs that just build the synthwave equivalent is the artist who just does like an arpeggiating baseline but doesn't really like yeah add anything to it yeah so it's just sort of like an arpeggio for three minutes and a beat and no real fucking chord progression or no melody see that still has a value if it were like in a movie or something you know like if it's like yeah this is like a background music yeah but like as an actual track if you're listening to it, you're like when's this gonna do something it's just anticlimactic, isn't it? yeah, you're looking for a melody some sort of tune in there no matter what style it is mm-hmm. just get something in there that's gonna stick in the head you know an arpeggiator we've heard that a thousand times that's not going to stick in someone's head a unique melody something that's catchy something that's got a little hook in it people are going to latch onto that and they're going to listen to it again you know that's the sort of thing that gets you gets you locked in i reckon for sure i mean that's why that's why i like synthwave because for the electronic music that i was listening to growing up it was like there was a cool melody there was a cool tune and then with the you know dubstep and things like that it became less about melody and more about just the beat and the tempo and that to me is a whole lot less interesting because i'm not a dancer i'm not like all jacked up on e all the time so I need a hook. I need I need that hook. And Synthwave gave me that, basically. Like, I found it again. You know, because I listened to, like, trance and stuff and like, you know, the late 90s and, like, the 2000s and stuff. And, you know, it's got a melody, but then every song was exactly the fucking same structure. Yeah. 
you know, just that build and, and, you know, so the first few I heard, I really liked. And then after a while, I'm like, oh, Jesus, like as a genre, like it's literally a genre based on the exact same song. Like it's not even a, there doesn't seem to be any sort of like delineation or anything. It's all just, these songs are all seven minutes long. There's a two minute build to the part that you actually like. And then you have to listen to three more minutes of just mindless beats until it plays that part you like again. And to me, I would listen to these and be like, why aren't these songs like two minutes long? Like they could just be two minutes and get out and they'd be really good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I think we're going to wind the conversation down now. So we'll listen to another track and then you can listen to SJ Bravo and I's closing arguments. All right. So here's a track. We're going to end today with some Scandroid. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he's got a new album out called Monochrome. And uh, look, I really dug this one, all right? So deal with it. Uh, this track is called On the Face of the Deep by Scandroid. <laughs>
And that was Scandroid with the track On the Face of the Deep. And I like that little melody there. That ding, 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 ding. I like that sound. Um, okay, so let's go back to my conversation with SJ Bravo as we wind the things down. Wow. That seems like a natural sort of pause there, to be honest with you. Sure. I mean, the amount of material you've given me is unreal. That's going to be really pretty useful to me. I guess the idea is to have, you know, I know you said um, it's different if you're a musician or you're creating it. And that's that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you, simply because I want to get different perspectives on it. You know, I've spoken to musicians. I'm going to speak to some more musicians. Yeah. But it's important to me to get ideas from people that are involved in all aspects, just to get a good cross-section, because I think it's important to represent the, the seed as a whole rather than just necessarily the actual people that are you know creating the the the, the biggest hits if it were yeah you know, thanks thanks for your time really i guess that's all i gotta say no problem man what have you got in the works Ooh, i can't what, tell you do you reckon this no it's top secret well the problem is not to be a dingus but like anytime uh dingus that's not a word i use uh anytime mm. i tell people it always falls through. Now, mind you, I'm not superstitious, yeah, yeah. so I feel like I do have to like break that at some point by just going like, "Here's who said they would do the show." Because like, anytime I do it in the past, where I would be like, "Oh, it's super cool," like uh, this person said they would do the show. Like I think like a few years ago, uh, the, you know, the composer who does the Elder Scrolls games, Jeremy Soul, he's called, and like he agreed to do the show, and I was so excited because I'm like, "Oh, like I love that guy's music," and, uh, and yeah. it's really good. And then that one sort of disappeared in a weird way like I think sometimes people say yes like they're interested and then when they find out like the podcast is like only got like a few hundred listeners or something then they kind of like oh maybe this isn't worth my time kind of thing it's tough to get people man it's tough to get people to commit any time you know well it's tricky too because I've always I've always wanted the success of the podcast to be all about bolstering the people in the scene who aren't huge artists like that's why I don't Absolutely. play big artists on the show no I've been asked that like do you guys ever play like pop music now that's got like 80s influences like no I'm like, what, why the fuck would I play a Katy Perry song? Like, it's even if it's good, it's like she doesn't need my help. The things that I get the most gratification from is when people message me that actually say or like tag me in posts where they go like, hey, I heard your track on Beyond Synth and, you know, I'm I'm going to buy some of this stuff. You know, I mean, that makes me happy that I expose. I think it's the only way for you to really go on because you need to to do something like that. It needs to be a curator of things that people might not have heard. You know, if people have already heard the material you're playing, why don't they surely just go and listen to that anyway, you know, if that makes sense, you know? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The big things don't need my assistance. Now, mind you, if I had the opportunity to interview a big artist, of course I would, because that would bring more exposure to the podcast and hopefully there'd be some, you know, like if if I had a big guest, that would hopefully at least on the episodes that bookended it <laughs> because if if someone listens to that show and then the SoundCloud automatically starts playing the next episode it's kind of like a numbers game there where it's just like hey yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be useful but uh, no it's mostly been about just supporting you know because the people are making good music to me it's like it, it, oh, it, sure. it doesn't have to be the, these huge artists like the production value of some of these people like FM 84 you know like the Midnight Look Cassette you know there's people is they've produced genuinely some of my favorite songs I've ever heard and these are people just like at their computers you know there is no huge recording studio no and uh, I don't think it's necessary. And I, I just wish that more people listened to it because I think some of it is genuinely fucking great music. I understand that some synthwave is kind of niche and I don't expect everyone to listen to instrumental tracks. I mean, I was the kind of guy that listened to movie scores. 
So, but I know not everybody is, but whenever I would put on a movie score, people would always love that idea. Like if I was driving with friends and I popped on like Batman, instantly the car ride became a lot more hilarious and fun because like there's always this novelty of like i can't believe we're driving around to the batman soundtrack like yeah. like the score and music you know but then it, it does add something to the to the whole experience but like the pop music stuff to me i just i'm just like i don't get why more people aren't listening because it's nah, like it's it's genuine shit and i mean to bring it back to the track you did with sunglasses kid i mean this is a fucking genuinely great song and I think, like, if, if if there was, like, a wider audience of people who, like, got exposed to it, they'd be like, oh, that was a fucking great song. Like, it's just, this is a good song. Like, uh, you know, better than the shit I fucking hear on the radio. Like, the radio pisses me off. But that's me being an old man. I think we all feel the same, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> what I find funny is, like, you know, a lot of people who listen are there just for the synth wave. And for me, I was always going to do a podcast about something because I like to talk and I like to have a have a platform for those sorts of things. And so the music part is almost like secondary to <laughs> just the idea of having an entertaining show. When I edit the interviews, to me, the most important thing is, is that they're fun and entertaining, not yeah. informative. Literally, like if someone went on a huge tear that was really boring, but really like informative musically, I would potentially cut that out sure. if it was like if it was just really dry and dull. I mean, obviously, I don't always have the choice. If I spoke to somebody for a very short amount of time, then I have to use as much as possible. But to me, it's always been the, that's been the most important thing is that the show is entertaining. Like I consider it more entertainment than a music show. Yeah, I think that's what people are tuning in for. You know, you got to hold on to those listeners when you get them in, and if you've got ten minutes of someone going on a on a rant. It's just kind of drop people are going people are going to skip it switch off etc you know oh i've had i've had it happen man i've <laughs> sometimes people don't like the banter i've had that too <laughs> i figure that's when you know you've made it if when you have trolls who talk about uh, stuff they didn't like then i figure like that's when you know that uh, something's something's going on you're on to something people can be so harsh as well oh, oh dude real, i <laughs> get really in face about it oh yeah i can dinguses <laughs> There you go. Used it again. <laughs> Anyways, man, uh, good talking to you. Good to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that very much, and uh, I'll catch you soon. Yeah, man. I'll definitely. Uh, we'll have to have you on sometime just for an actual music guy. I mean, I say have yeah, you on. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Yeah, I haven't thrown to any tracks, so maybe I can always like release it as like a bonus thing or something. Yeah, it's probably a bit different to, to, to some of your normal stuff, but yeah, you know, let's. Uh, that would be good at some point. Just have a, a more general chat. That'll be really nice. But, um, yeah, I'll send you some music anyway. When I've got some new stuff in the works. So. Yeah, man, always feel free to send me shit. Yeah, for sure. I will do. Cool, man. Hey, great talking to you. Have a good day. Enjoy. Yeah, you too, buddy. See ya. Catch you later. Bye. And that was SJ Bravo interviewing me. What a weird show it's been. I hope you guys enjoyed the program. And I want you to know that I know that you know. Anyways, I got to go. All right? It's uh, past my bedtime. So you guys have a lovely weekend. Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Andy Last on Twitter. That's the Beyond Synth Twitter account. And remember to follow the Facebook, facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast. Like it. Follow it. Love it. There's the SoundCloud page. Check that out. Don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on YouTube. And if you have songs that you want me to hear, send them to beyondsynth at gmail.com and I will check out your music. It might take me two months, but I'll do it. Damn it. I will. And if you want to help uh, support the show, uh, you can do that at patreon.com slash beyondsynth. Give me the cash, man. And, uh, you know, we got some goals to reach and... It really helps out. 
if we can get that number to something cool, you know, then I can uh, buy myself some spaghetti. <laughs> it's a spaghetti fund. I, I should have told you guys before. Have a lovely weekend. Uh, I love you all. And what am I doing? <laughs> Maybe I should say goodbye as if I'm talking directly to you. Because when I say like, oh, the people, you know, it's like I'm, I'm being, uh, it's too broad, you know? Like, oh, the people. I give the city back to the people. But I'm going to direct this one directly at you, okay? So pretend I'm talking directly to you. Listen, I want to thank you for listening to the show. I really appreciate you listening. You're a cool person. And I want you to know that I care and that you and me, you know, we're doing all right. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry that thing happened to you. But I know that that other thing was better. I know that you saw something lately that you liked and something you didn't like. And I hope you see a bit more of the stuff you like and a little less of the stuff you don't like. And uh, listen, just have a great weekend. You're the coolest person I know. So you keep doing it. You keep doing it. And I'll keep doing this. And you know, hey, we'll meet in the middle. Thanks for listening to Beyond Synth for another week and I will talk to you next week on the best synthwave chat show there is motherfucker oh yeah my kids shit sorry (laughs) (laughs) well there's nothing like uh, little kids waking up at three in the morning to hear their dad yelling motherfucker from the studio because uh, hey I'm a great parent (laughs) bye